Hi, I'm Ollie from near Philadelphia. I'm Cinna from Ohio. And this is Backlist and Chill, where we read old young adult books and drink about it. Uh-huh. We're on season 13, episode 3. Thank God. The end. Not only of just this season, not only of just this series, but of this author. If I had to read one more, I would probably end up destroying property. <laughs> if there was like a fourth book. I, mm, or if there was another series after this, I would just be like, no, we're done. <laughs> it, it ended after the Mavra. I'm not doing it anymore. I'd be like, Sina. Like, no, go on without me. Go on. With me. Be like, tap in, tap in Raven on the corner. Right? I'm just like a toddler at a grocery store. I just sit down in the middle of the aisle like, no, no, not Literally just it. that word. Just no. No. Be like, I'm sorry. She's not normally this way. <laughs> We've only fed her pie for like 20 books. <laughs> and now they want to give me more pie. This is child abuse. <laughs> it is. It truly is. Also, that's an insult to pie. I want to retract our pie analogy preemptively. Oh. Okay. This is po- not eating too much pie. We, well, sure. We were saying that shit in the beginning to try to softball how sick of Amy we were getting. Like, oh, we ate too much The original pie. fucking Den of Shadows series back in season two. Like, no, it's okay, guys. It's like a sweet treat, and then you eat too much of it, and then you just get sick of it. That's why we're sick of it. It has nothing to do with the quality of the book or the writing. It's just it's just too sweet. No, it's bad. It's bad, and I'm sick of reading bad things. Oh, God. You're like, stop feeding me literal dirt with broken glass in it. <laughs> right? And calling it a pie. I'm not going to lie anymore. It's a mud pie, Sina do it it's not a pie it's garbage <laughs> you're like i've been lying to myself i've been lying to you i've been lying to the audience i've been too nice for too long this my friends shit. my friends have tried this pie why did i lie it's to them terrible oh i know i know that's what our softballing gets us it gets us poor innocent victims subjecting themselves to this the worst series we've ever fucking read like look i'm a haunter and i love to scare people this is not it it's not a fun scare this is a mean scare yeah it's not even a scare god imagine if this were scary in any way but existential i mean that's why we liked lj smith stuff right it's like right it's scary but in a safe story way not a personal (laughs) existence way i'm gonna ask you a question ollie and ara Our friendship is going to depend on it, so you better answer correctly. Oh, God. Right at the beginning of the podcast? Yeah. No. Fuck. I'm coming out swinging. Which is worse, this or Dark Visions? Oh, this. Okay, good. We can continue to be friends. (laughs) No, no. Dark Vision by L.J. Smith is just a work in progress and needs editing. And at least shit happened yeah like the plot ends i mean even if it ends on like a freeze frame literal photo with everyone smiling like a (laughs) fucking saturday morning cartoon which i will never get over clearly i can't believe you remember that i didn't (laughs) it's it's the last moment (laughs) bothered me um i just saw like captain planet in my head (laughs) yeah so like kind of the kind of glee that a captain planet ending would bring me at this point like (laughs) 
indescribable. Yeah. Well, because the plot ends, all of the plot lines are wrapped up. Everyone's just going to move on with their lives. You know, like the, the bad guys overtaken. Good people are good. Bad people are, I don't know, lost in the wind. Who cares? Like, <laughs> Dark Visions, I want to take those three books and be like, hi, Lisa Jane, you've got something here. We just need to move it all around. But unfortunately, I think you wrote 600 pages, like, and, like, turned in 200 at a time. So, like, let's look at the full plot. Let's move a little shit around. Like, I remember one of my comments is to just have everyone be in the house at the beginning and have her be kind of a a bad girl who's trying to be, like, a good girl, blah, blah, blah. You know, and all the bad guys stay. Fine. Like, to give us all the characters, that would be great. Those are it. The, like, the writing is boring and bland. Lisa Jane, go for your horror Go for your fun descriptions. You can do this. I believe in you. These three books, nothing happens. No plot gets resolved. And none of the narrators are protagonists. I like to imagine you just seeing Lisa Jane at a diner somewhere and just pulling out the chair across from her and giving her that spiel. And at the end of it, she's just like, who are We're going to be reprinting Dark Vision, Lisa Jane. (laughs) She's like, I, Dark what? (laughs) <laughs> the one you never mentioned yes you know in fact just sign over the rights to me thank you very much <laughs> she's like oh are you talking about the sequel that i'm currently writing to a book i don't remember <laughs> of course you have a sequel to the book you never mentioned and never remember she's like that sounds like um sounds like something bob would write i didn't i didn't oh write. that's right i forgot are you talking about Forbidden Game? I wrote that. Are you talking no, about Vampire Diaries? No, we don't want to talk about that. We want to talk I about also Forbidden wrote that. Game. Yes, Forbidden Game. Let's go back to that one. I think I wrote a witch book at no some notes. Point. <laughs> I think some I wrote notes. a witch book. Some notes. Some, some notes, but you know. <laughs> witch book, many notes. Yeah, right. First one, gay. That's gay. That's note. it. Just make it gay. That's actually also my notes for Vampire Diaries. <laughs> here, here are all my notes. They're just sticky notes that I'll say gay. Many different kinds of sticky notes, lots of different markers, different ways to, like, draw and doodle around the word gay. Yeah. Some of them just have rainbows on them, but you get it. <laughs> I hope I hope you get it. <laughs> the buys existed. And Lisa Jane's like, I'm sorry, what? These are blank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see gay. <laughs> oh, uh, it's fun to talk about Lisa Jane in this podcast about... The Mavra, book three, Blood Trader by Amelia Atwater Rhodes. All the joy that we get out of talking about Lisa Jane that we never get about talking about fucking Amy's books. Right? You'd commented to me the other day about just all of this, where it's like, we're not, we're not laughing, we're not having fun, we're not making jokes. Because they're dour and boring, and it's very difficult to wring humor out of something so dour and self-serious. Yeah, self-serious for sure. And that decides to flirt with so many horrendous ideas and it doesn't do anything of value with them. It's like, Mm -hmm. what? You're just pouring depression into a book and I force myself to read it and I don't know why. The why is because, you know, at least we're getting it out of the way now. But listen, did we have to get it out of the way? No, we could have just never done it and always been like, hmm, that Mavra coming soon. I don't know. I needed to get it out of the way. I th- I feel. I think it would have just hung open like a like a tab sitting there, being like, "Ugh, I should deal with this." But we don't have to. Nobody's making us do this, but ourselves. I know <laughs> we're the worst to ourselves. Mm-hmm. You always hurt the ones you love. 
<laughs> and I'm so sorry I hurt you. That sounds like something Malachi would say. Oh, God. Something tedious and boring. Yeah. Anyway, so on this, the most sacred of occasions, what are you drinking? Oh, okay. So um, I'm I'm drinking what I'm calling exactly what you expected. Oh, part two? Is that what I called the last one? We called the last one about what you expected. Oh, damn. I thought it was so clever. <laughs> then no, I'm going to stick with it. No, you should call it, you should call it Dead Dove. Dead <laughs> Dove, do not eat. No, no, no. Uh, this is, so this, the reason I thought I was clever mm-hmm. is because, what am I drinking, Senna? Absinthe. And? Ginger ale. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything you expected. I, like, I thought long and hard, like, what do I want to do with absinthe today? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, I'm just going to go get fucking Canada Dry ginger ale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> An absinthe, and I'm going to do exactly what the book did. I'm going to do the same old shit I always do, <laughs> because the book did the same old shit it always does. <laughs> but at least I get to enjoy the drink, as opposed to the book. Mm-hmm. So maybe the same shit that we always get. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just on par for, you know, the series anyway. The last one was about what you expected. This one is exactly what you expected. So how about you? What are you drinking? Um, so I was thinking along the same lines as you, like, first, I want to acknowledge that our friend Raven gave us supplies to make a Mavra drink uh, a couple months ago. I want to say that, like, I genuinely was like, I could make that for this. It's too good for this. It is. This book doesn't deserve it. This book doesn't deserve the very nice drink that Raven put together for us. So I was like, no. We'll wait until we have another book with an ambiguously brown character. I'm sure there'll be a plenty. <laughs> Hopefully not in the next one. Like, just just give us some author who's not terrible. <laughs> right. I, I'm sure we'll run into it. So I wanted to save that for a better occasion. Totally. I'm very excited to try it. I have it like, sitting on my, my bookshelf. I, like, stuck the card in that they gave us. So mm-hmm. every now and then out of the corner of my eye, I just see ambiguously brown a backlist fan cocktail and i'm like someday <laughs> yep i'm gonna drink you someday when the book is correct <laughs> when the book is bad but not this bad <laughs> right so i want to just acknowledge that say thanks raven have not forgotten saving it for something better but i had a whole bunch of cocktail stuff left over from this weekend Ooh. so i made a Blood orange whiskey sour. Oh my. But I made it with our, as Dave would say, floor varnish whiskey. <laughs> floor varnish whiskey. Yeah, just the the cheapest stuff. I buy yeah. the cheapest shit because I'm just going to drown it out with some kind of juice anyway. Yeah. And this weekend, my friend brought over like her good bourbon. Oh so my. We did not have to drown it out. But I was like, no, first of all, I'm not going to use her bourbon. Second of all, this book isn't good enough for it. It doesn't warrant it. It warrants floor varnish. It it does. Yeah. No, for sure. So uh, floor varnish, whiskey sour, uh, (laughs) the cheapest bourbon you can find. The bottom shelf. Like, get down on your knees. Absolutely. You'll find it. I paid like $5 for this. Oh, God. A blood orange cocktail mix, which I definitely paid more money for, and lemon juice. Okay. Um, I tasted it the first time, and it was extremely floor varnishy. So what? I then just dumped so much cherry juice in it. That's not in the picture. 
That's okay. in what I'm currently drinking. Is it good now? Yeah. No, it's good now. Um, good. It's very sour. So, like, I feel like I should call it something like sour grapes. But to honor <laughs> a suggestion that Raven made, uh, instead, I'm going to call it the bitter end. Ooh, the bitter end. The sour end. The sour end, yes. I I was going to put some Salerno in it, and that would have made it a little bit more bitter. But Yeah. That sounds like you've got a good drink. I've got a good drink. They're better than the book deserves, but not... We don't deserve that. We deserve right. good drinks. I was like, I shouldn't punish myself too severely. <laughs> like last time I did a diet ginger ale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've already spent this week reading this book. We don't deserve more pain. Right? Like I told you I had crab rangoons today because I was like, you know what? I fucking deserve it. Mm-hmm. I need to I need to drink and talk about this book later. So let's just let's just have good food and a good drink and, and a bad book. That seems right? fine. Treat yourself as much mm-hmm. as possible. Yes. All, All right. right. Fantastic. So got anything new going on at the park? And here's the thing. <laughs> I would not blame you if you didn't. Honestly. So what we have is is a, a blood trader, right? Um, but it's one of those kind of pirate ships. Mm-hmm. So all it does is go back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it's just called the blood trader, otherwise unrelated to anything. Yeah, but here's the here's the here's the problem. Okay, I can't decide whether or not when you get on it never ends, or if it's always just under construction because it's never finished. <laughs> I think for the sake of, like, people not rioting, it's probably just always under construction because it's never finished. Yeah, I feel like if you if it never ended, that would end badly quickly. Yeah, people would be like, we're pulling the, the plug, which is funny because that's what happened to the author with this book. You know, mm-hmm. it's their longstanding contract with a random house, like, whatever else was going on. In, in their life and with their um, agent who had passed at some point, this was the end. You know, like this was, that was it. Like even mm-hmm. looking at my copy, my hard copy of this book, mm-hmm. it doesn't mention Bloodkin, which like usually all the books would be like, and the previous book, author of, da da da. This one says author of Bloodwitch. So like <laughs> clearly they gave no fucks. They were like, the series is bad. Um, we don't want you anymore. We don't care. Even this book forgot the previous book. Yes. <laughs> Which I, I only noticed last night when I went to put it over by my desk. I was like, that says Blood Witch. <laughs> wow. The one that you might have heard of that we did a smidgen of promotion for. Right? The first one in the series. You maybe have heard of it. This is in that series too. So yeah, it's a blood trader. It's one of those pirates. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. But you'll never be able to get on it because it's never going to be finished. Um, so it's just always constantly under construction. I don't even know why we put up the sign. I don't know why we list it in our maps. Sometimes people even get in line for it. And then like a cast member will come by and be like, oh, that is still under construction. Important question. Is there actually a ship there? It's under construction. No, is there? But is there like, is it scaffolding? Or is there a ship and we just don't run it? Oh, <laughs> Because the word ship has multiple connotations in fandom, and there's no ships worthy in this book, I'm going to go with it's the the triangle scaffolding, mm-hmm. and then like the piece that would come down that would attach to the ship, mm-hmm. but the, there's no ship. <laughs> that's it. That's, it's more of a fully assembled product. You than... can see what it's 
trying to be. Right, which is something I could not figure out with the book that it's named after, so. (laughs) Like, we, we stretched the imagination on this one by even coming up with this much. <laughs> yes. so yeah, that's, well, that's what's going on in the park. I appreciate it. I appreciate your effort in building a triangle. <laughs> We're just waiting for that ship to be finished. Right. It'll be here any day. We've, we've never actually commissioned it, so shh, it's okay. So much money. So much effort. Like It's the... in everyone's best interest, honestly. Yeah, no, I agree. We don't need a fourth book. Ugh. No, we don't. No, we don't. We didn't need these three. No, absolutely not. Nobody needed them. All right. We've talked about what we're drinking. We've talked about the state of the park. We're ready for the blurb. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm going to read the one from the inside flap cover since I have it. Oh, but first, let's find out. Mm, much like the book, empty smelling. <laughs> Smells like disappointment. Nothing. Right? Malachi Obsidian has been his guild's prophet ever since he was a child. Years ago, he envisioned a future in which his sister Misha ruled, and the vampire's empire was destroyed. His people have made many questionable decisions to keep this dream alive, and now Misha is finally on the verge of becoming queen of the Serpiente, just as Malachi predicted. Only one obstacle stands in Misha's way, and she's prepared to do whatever it takes to remove it, even if it means selling a family member into slavery. When a mercenary from the vampire's inner circle proposes a daring plan to bring down the Empire of Midnight once and for all, Malachi must feign support for his unstable sister so his prophecy can be fulfilled. He must do it for his family, for his people, and for their freedom! In this unforgettable finale in the Maver Trilogy, <laughs> Amelia Atwater Rhodes tells a heart-pounding story about destiny, loyalty, and the many shades of betrayal. Not gray, betrayal. That's the blurb. I don't have any opinions on it. Yeah, it's, that seems like the book, right? Right? There's some stuff that it's like, that's not really true, but um, what is? <laughs> nothing. Nothing's true anymore. <laughs> this this book, it's bested me. It's beaten me. I'm... I'm done. I don't have any fucking opinions on blurbs. Well, you know what? It doesn't deserve your opinions. That's true. You would need to have a fucking plot for me to be like, actually, that's an incorrect blurb. (laughs) It's not defeat. It's a triumph. It's not devoting any more energy to this book. That's true. I like looking at it that way. Mm -hmm. Like, you haven't broken me, blood traitor. I've decided you're not fucking worth it. Uh, Genuinely. That was me... Like, three chapters in this book. I was just like, why am I stressing about this? It doesn't <laughs> who, deserve it. Who cares? Who cares? No one cares. No fans of this book are going to listen to this podcast and need to know our opinions. Do you know? You don't even know how true that is, Ollie. I went looking for a, like, trade review, a Curtis yeah. review of this book. Nobody has reviewed Blood Trader except for people on Goodreads and Amazon. Whoa, that is absolutely unheard of. Yeah. I looked for some kind, like SLJ, like anybody. Nobody fucking reviewed this book. But yeah, I googled Blood Trader and it just popped up another series of books and like one or two entries, like an Amazon entry for this one. But yeah, no, Kirkus only reviewed Blood Witch. (laughs) All right. So SLJ, I lied. SLJ did review it. Oh, 
What does that say? Anything? It's very generic. <laughs> the final line is, the powerful themes of courage, loyalty, love, and friendship reign true and allow for a satisfying finale. That person is lying through their fucking teeth. That person did not read this book. Was it a liar, liar, pants on fire situation there, SLJ? I genuinely can't imagine somebody reading this book and coming to that conclusion. The power of love. <laughs> the power of friendship, loyalty, since fucking when? This is not a My Little Pony novel, okay? This is the fucking Mavra. But yeah, like, there are, I think that was the only review that I found, because that one was on Amazon. Was that the, was that the only thing about the book? Everything else was just, like, the blurb? No, I mean, the rest of it is, like... This is what this book is about. The only opinion is, uh-huh. in this installment, Atwater Rhodes brings a well-crafted conclusion to her extraordinary and mysterious world of midnight. Full of intrigue, danger, and unpredictable magic, the series features an extensive cast of characters, some of whom are referenced in her other works, who all play a key role in the unfolding events and ultimate complu- conclusion. And then the thing about love and friendship, yeah. or what the fuck ever. So there's, like, buzzwords and... Uh, that person clearly knows that other characters are involved. But I do wonder if, like, the publisher sent out a thing being, like, half of that. <laughs> yeah, I... Because if your reviewer isn't a fan, they wouldn't know. Yeah, I just can't imagine somebody having that opinion because this book ends so strangely. Yeah. For you to say it ends satisfyingly is just... For whom? Objectively untrue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just... Like, I think anyone could read this series and go, that's... Not an ending. Right? Like what You've been hanging wait, out with what? Stephen King too much. <laughs> don't don't besmirch Stephen King's name. Sorry, Mr. King. At least when he does it, he brings the hand of God literally. Stephen King has more craft and skill in his pinky finger. I don't even oh, care that course. much for Stephen of King. Of course. All right, we'll, we'll we'll take him out. We'll take him out. Thank you. He was never mentioned. <laughs> I shall brook no comparisons to this terrible, terrible series. Anyway. Tell me about the cover. All right. The cover is blue. It is. It's uh, got a bunch of foresty branches in the background. It's got a castle in the bottom foreground. Its most prominent image is a very inflatable looking (laughs) crown. Right? It looks like... A metallic balloon? It does. It does. That's exactly what it looks like. It looks like a metallic balloon. Uh, It's a really weird looking crown. It's got like filigree, like burned into it. I don't know. It just doesn't look like a a crown. It looks like a crown emoji. And at the top, Amelia Atwater Rhodes, author of Blood Witch. At the bottom, predicting her rule was just the beginning. And uh, the title is Across the Crown. Uh, with a bunch of thorny filigree underneath it. And that's all. Yep, that's true. The sad thing is, this is my favorite cover of the God, three. Why? Because it's blue. <laughs> this is the same, but the, I, would, I would argue that the first one was probably the best composed. Yeah, yeah. I do like that we see their opinion of Midnight at the Bottom because it makes me laugh because I never, like, it doesn't look like that. No, it doesn't. That has more character than Midnight has. Midnight is just a black cube. Right? I've built that shit in Minecraft. This is not it. (laughs) Like, it has windows. There are no windows in Midnight. There's no, like, 
turrets. No, they were like, put a castle, like a square yeah. castle. It's like, you've, you've put too much. You've put too much effort. And that effort was going to uh, iStock and typing yeah. in castle. It's just so funny. It's like, well, but if we put a black cube, no one will know what it is. It's like, that's true. The audience will read it and then they'll go, oh, that's what that black cube is. But a random person is going to go, oh, look, a castle. I don't think that anybody reading this book would know what a black cube was. Because I feel like we haven't gotten the black square description of Midnight since, like, Midnight Predator. I thought we got it in the first one. Maybe, but that was two books ago. And then this one talks about, like, oh, the ornate door. And I'm like, is that it? It's just a door and some grounds and some pretty flowers. I mean, that's the only detail we've really gotten about it. It's weird. So, like, for all we know, this Midnight is a square but there's like stairs but it's only one floor i don't know i never have understood why amy decided that super cool try hard midnight is four fucking hallways not <laughs> even two two floors like we learned in the first one that there's a basement that has like a bunch of cells and whatever because that's where they mm -hmm. throw the protagonists at one point but why not have multiple floors why have a wing mm -hmm. it's ugly and it's boring and it's like you don't understand architecture no. Your fucking brutalist midnight. I think it comes with that that idea of that secret garden courtyard in the middle, I think is yeah, probably well, the main appeal. I guess, but you could have a secret garden courtyard anywhere. Um, Not if you're like a kid and you're like, well, what shape is it? Then I need to make this courtyard a square. Okay. <sighs> We're going to go with that. But yeah, I do. I do like seeing this this cover, though, because of how blue it is. That's it. That's fine. That crown fucking ruins it for me. <laughs> the inflatable crown. Inflatable emoji crown. It's just so poorly rendered that yeah. I'm like, why did you not just eye stock photo a normal crown? And there's not even a crown in this book. No, there's not. There's just this. This is the idea of... of a crown. Yeah. And that's you know why what? they used an emoji. That's why. That's why. Because this crown, this inflatable metallic balloon crown, that is they exactly. Up at the grocery store? The accurate representation of, like, the idea of royalty and crowns and responsibility in this book. <laughs> it's m fake bullshit. So, you know what? Good job, Sammy Yuen. Once again, knocking it out of the park. <laughs> I love that you keep getting paid. So, I have a thing that I would like to say preemptively, if that's okay. Yes. Okay. So, I don't want to pretend... Like, I went into this objectively. Oh, no, neither of us were. We didn't read a book. We read the last book by this author that we've been reading forever. Right. I just don't want to, you know, I was I was watching some YouTube videos about some book drama, and the person was, like, going into it as though they were an objective observer, but gotcha. their opinions were so obviously biased in a way that you could tell like they came in with some firm ideas about the person they were talking about. Right. So so we're walking into this extraordinarily biased. Yes. I don't want to pretend like there's a world in which I could have liked this book because there's not. I don't right. like this world. I don't like the concepts that are baked into this world. There's no universe in which this book could have done anything that I liked, like because of the limitations that we already know about the authors. There was no way I was ever going to like this book. If you 
are listening to this podcast and for some reason you're a stan or you you really do like this world, good for you. I don't. I fucking hate it. I think we would all be better off if they didn't exist. I don't think there's any fixing them. I think they're fundamentally terrible and beyond repair. So I just want to put that out as like where I'm coming I, from. I appreciate you putting it out at the beginning. It's so... It's not even interesting. It's just... No, I guess <laughs> it's interesting because it's for, for us, for us interesting that we read Promises to Keep and we were like, my God, could you imagine if this is the note you went out on? <laughs> I still hate that book, but you could have saved us these three books mm. and just just gone out on the bad one that you'd already gone out on. You didn't need to triple down. Well, that's because this is just a reprise of that. I hate this book for the same reasons I hate Promises to Keep. Nothing has changed. Absolutely. Like I said, it's just, it's all the same trash that you knew we were going to get. It's just the same bad ideas that are being stewed in the same pot, you know? Given like 900 pages. Yeah, and we're going back to like the source and like your your understanding of it still hasn't changed. So like, right? it's just bad. <laughs> you didn't spend four years figuring out how to have characters actually work on stuff and, and develop new things and have any repercussions, even if they, you know, like, stuff we didn't know. No. It's all the same shit. All the same people. Everyone's fine. They just, like, lost their fucking toys. Yeah. It's an incredible demonstration of, like, a, a lack of growth from the author. We roll back around to how is In the Forest of the Night the first book, the best book in this entire author's backlist what a fluke my love for forest <laughs> fluke. shall not be infringed by all of the trash that comes after it because i still love that book but man what a cosmic accident <laughs> right like you managed to get that book out and it was much more fun reading it as an adult being like, oh, yeah, this this world, we don't know too much about it. Maybe that's it. Like, the character doesn't know too much about her world. Her world isn't that big. We're not dealing with, like, a million bits of politics. It's just personal bickering bullshit with vampires. I think that is it. It's a very personal book. And I think the books that come close to being good in this bibliography are the ones that are rooted in characters when that's... It feels wild saying that because there are so few that do that, but... <laughs> I think that Midnight Predator is the other one that I don't hate. I like Turquoise. I like that she gets to fucking murder her bad guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like the the time, you know, is given to stuff. There's still a fuck ton wrong with it, and it deals with Midnight. Mm-hmm. But that's the next one for me. That I'm like, I don't hate this one. There's ever something fun in it. It's a lot of try-hard bullshit. That is fair. It does have some fun, try-hard shit in it. You you get Raven and Akitos. Like, that is the definition of den try-hard bullshit. Right? Uh, the, you know, midnight fighting in a fucking dark gym. <laughs> uh, but I think even that one had the philosophical... The seeds of these problems? Yeah, seeds that, like, somehow 20 years later... You're still stuck on this wild lack of empathy that you've just never grown out of. Yeah. Because it should have just been a leather family. <laughs> I, you know, just let it, let it be what it is. Don't try to make it hold up this extremely heavy subject. Yeah. Are there any other ones that you don't want to throw in the fire? 
Just forest. The rest of them can go in the trash. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. No pretense at not having bias. Was never going to like this book. Uh, so just so you know, that's where I'm coming from. That's fair. I'm, I'm glad to know it. And I'm, I hope that, you know, our listeners know going in. Because if they've made it this far listening to any of our Amelia Atwater Rhodes seasons and they think that we could possibly <laughs> try to try to look at this book objectively. Mm. No. They've not been listening. I would have genuinely loved to find somebody who had never touched anything Amy before and read these. Maybe some of our listeners, maybe if you haven't touched Amy before, I would love to know what you thought of these. Just from like a a storytelling perspective. perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I could find people who have not read them, but I I want it to be someone who's um, not just going to be like, cool, I read a book for a couple hours. Like, I want to find someone who is similarly critical of what they read. Even somebody who's just like, I read a book for a couple of hours. I would be like, was this a satisfying experience? <laughs> and how did you feel after that? Yeah. Did did this work for you? Was there, both then, you know- Both. I would like to find someone who's never read them. And just read a book and was it a satisfying book and someone who can look at it objectively but critically i just feel that anybody who reads recreationally even if it's just for uh you know turn my brain off and have some fun i just can't imagine this being a satisfying experience because it's so bizarre i don't know where the fun would be there's no fun let's let's talk about the plot it might not seem important but i, I do want to mention the um the very beginning of this book is not the book. It is the bullshit um, dedication. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a whole fucking page, but some some key phrases. Blood Trader is also dedicated to all the people who come and go into our lives. And they list a bunch of random shit. And then they list more random shit. And then they list more random shit. No specific people. Mavra is dedicated to all of you. Like, don't, don't fucking put that on us. Don't dedicate this to the world. It is emblematic of what's going to happen, which is to say, nothing specific. (laughs) So we open with two chapters rehashing everything else we already knew from prior books, where all we really get is that Nathaniel, who is a vampire and a mercenary, will be the one facilitating Misha's selling Princess Hara into slavery, and that the plot we were promised at the end of book two about maybe this trio is going to join up with Hara, maybe we're going to take down Midnight together, Oh, it's actually not possible, because if they get in the way, Midnight's bullshit hair-splitting rules about impeding trade will make them all slaves, too. Now, oddly enough, this has actually been seeded into the Narrative Sense book one, so good job, Mavra. You managed to keep your own canon on one fucking thing, and it's the one thing that makes the story boring as fuck. (laughs) So, shocking no one, we learn that Malachi made up the prophecy that everyone's been working towards. I think that's, like, the most interesting thing that they do, but they don't really do anything with it. Yeah, because it stays a secret. It's just a source of angst for Malachi. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the thing, like, he's a white viper falcon, so, like, if he says it, he probably meant it? Like, he probably didn't even know it was true? He's like, oh, I was seven, and I thought, oh, what will get me out? How do you know? You're seven. You don't even know that that queens are possible. You don't know shit. You don't know that midnight could burn. Like, you don't know that Farrell's here to, to take someone. I, I th- truly think that what we should have seen as one of the final TV things is the scene of him as a little kid 
being like rescued so that we could know something like mm, it just it doesn't make sense i think it's an interesting thing to try to explore the idea of like so many people have died in service of this prophecy that i made up to save myself and my sister like i think that's really cool i was seven and i didn't want to be a slave anymore yeah and then to like it, you know, it warped the ethos and the focus of an entire, like, group of people. Like, yeah. at this point, you know, it it warped Misha's life. We saved her and people did it because of the prophecy. Right? And the, the culpability that Malachi has in that, like, does he have any culpability in that? He was a kid, but he never told the truth. Like, <laughs> he could have at some point later on been like, I made that bullshit up. Because I didn't want to be a slave because I was a child and I wanted to save my mom and my my unborn baby sister. Like, you didn't even know she was a sister. What if she came out of a brother? Yeah, like, it's some really, it could be really interesting. The problem, as usual, is just that there is emotion in it, but only because we're told that because... Yeah, like you said, it's just a source of his angst. It's never important to the narrative. Yeah, there's no, there's no thematic resonance in it. Because the idea of, well, we're going to make this prophecy true could be fine. And like Nathaniel even uses it being like, well, keep that to your fucking self, because if we can put your sister on the throne, my people will be like, oh, look at that. The, the obsidian prophecy. That's one step. Let's get right. to the second one where we burn, burn, burn. Nathaniel is a consummate PR man. <laughs> and he's really understands that what gets a revolution going is hype. Yeah. So he'll take whatever sources of hype he can get. He's like, Malachi, I will murder you in your sleep rather than let you talk about that. (laughs) Right. I appreciate uh, the scrappy shit Nathaniel gets up to in order to make this thing happen. He really wants his payday. Right. He's he's trying so hard. He's like, can we get can we get makeup in here? Can we can we do anything (laughs) about this? Like the situation thing Malachi's got going on. Like someone do his hair. Like, I, I need, can we get some blue dye? I just need them to look the part. And then you're yep. just going to stand there and you're going to shut your fucking mouth. Okay? <laughs> you don't say shit. You say anything, I'm going to smack you. Do you understand me? It feels like Nathaniel is the most active person in this entire story, but he's so on the periphery. I guess technically Misha is also doing shit, but she's also yeah. on the periphery. But like Nathaniel is doing shit I can get behind. And the fact that he's such a peripheral character is yeah. so fucking Amy. Yo, no, for sure. Like there was the whole scene, we'll, we'll get to it, but like there's a whole scene where I'm just like, he's the focus, but it can't be his book because even he isn't choosing to take down Midnight, he's being paid to do it. So it's just like, you also don't have motive except money, but at least that's a motive of some kind. That was Turquoise's motive and Raven's motive. Like, good enough. (laughs) Right. But yeah, no. So like, I would love to see this concept explored. And like, I don't read fantasy, so it's probably been explored to death, the idea of a fake chosen one. But I think that's a really cool idea. I wish that a I had read something by a more skilled author about it. Absolutely. All right. So now the group, which was Malachi, Katie, Vance, and Aika, um, who'd been split up, they head back to Misha because Nathaniel wants to make sure that she ends up on the throne, aka fulfilling part of the prophecy. They're gonna they're gonna kidnap Hara and sell her to Midnight. But Malachi is absent for the actual kidnapping of the Serpent Princess, but not the boring ass handoff. Like, how did you get her? We don't know. That could have been a fun 
action scene instead of bureaucracy, but okay, fine. Misha tells Malachi to go to midnight for some reason uh, that when I was writing my notes, I couldn't fathom, even though I had literally read it like the night before. And then I remembered that it was, she wants him to go to the exiled serpents who are farmers and tell them that when she's queen, they'll be pardoned if they come be farmers for them, which is just a political bullshit reason. So here's his first being, uh, his second shuttled. So the first shuttling back to Misha, and now Misha's sending him back to midnight. And we get to see Malachi be a TV. He starts being a TV for us. Oh my god. Um... I'm ignoring the stuff that happens at the beginning of the chapters until later. Mm-hmm. So Malachi's a TV and he overhears Jaguar and Gabriel, who are two of the vampire trainers in Midnight, talking about some falcon project that Jaguar has. And Malachi wanders into Gabriel's rooms and doesn't get immediately murdered when Gabriel finds him creeping on a sleeping Alistair, the hawk queen that he previously sold to fucking Midnight. It's the fucking return of the bullshit falcon magic. What does it do? Whatever we want. Whatever we need it to do. Well, my white viper magic helps me stay, like, kind of invisible and no one thinks I'm a threat. Is that a thing? I don't know. I don't remember it being a thing. I've read all these books. Well, the white viper magic is even better for vagueness because we've never actually spent time with a white viper. So yeah. sh- they can just say it does whatever the fuck they need it to. And In what can we do? Book. Yeah, like this is these are the only white vipers we've ever really hung out with. Yeah. So if you tell us that it, oh, it manipulates people into following you or, oh, it manipulates people into ignoring you. Sure. Feels fake, but all right. <laughs> Like, we knew that he had magic that he could use to, like, keep the camp of the Obsidian, like, protected from mm-hmm. from the guards and whatever in the forest. But, like, it just, it would be nice to know in your world building that there's ever going to be a point where you go, I can't do that. That's beyond my reach. Why? Because literally that's not what my people do. You want to talk to somebody else. No. It's just, oh, I'm not powerful enough to do that. Okay, fine. Yeah, like, I need um some crackers, maybe an appy juice. I need an happy juice. An orange slice, perhaps, and then I'll be up for I it. I need a cookie. <laughs> that'll that'll bring my blood sugar back up. We'll be better. I need somebody to pet me on the head and tell me I'm pretty. Give me a little confidence boost. And then well, maybe... that's probably true of Malachi. <laughs> All right. Then he overhears Jessica and Theron um, because he's just in the fucking halls again. Hooray for this TV. And they're talking about plot-relevant bullshit about silver aka mayhem oh my fucking god these names aka the fun vampires (laughs) the ones who will act like ridiculous bruja the cats yes yes the pissy cat vampires if you remember them so jessica's literally just like malachi don't don't clutter up the hallway and he ends up following the two of them for some fucking reason and Let's Theron feed on him in the middle of this conversation. Jessica and Theron keep fucking talking. And then Malachi ends up, not immediately, not just like Theron being like, come back to my room with me. No, he ends up there at Theron's room. And for some reason, Theron wants to fuck Malachi. So, okay, I guess that happens. But it's a fade to black once Malachi decides that he's okay and Theron's attractive enough. Like, we're, <laughs> we're right back to Danica Charday being like, I found no reason not to kiss him. The number of hoops Amy makes 
Malachi jumped through to make this consensual is so fucking funny. They're just like, you know, there does seem something off about Malachi, a former slave, fucking a vampire who's not in the employ of Jessica, but, but is a is mercenary. Kind of, yeah, but kind of like could be and is an ally. Like that does feel like there's a squicky power dynamic there, especially since they like reiterate a hundred times that these vampires could just crush these people with their fucking like in the palm of their hand right just- right and he literally just fed from you he was just like come here boy basically and let me just fucking mm, delicious like right but don't feel weird about it it's totally consensual and theron's not technically a trainer because <laughs> that's the only objection you could possibly have for a vampire And Theron says, you know, hey, you don't have to do this. You can go if you want to. And Malachi says, no, 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 I want to. It's totally consensual. I made this neon sign that says totally consensual. I'm just going to hang this in the background of this shot. Even though if I don't do it, it might get suspicious. But ignore that. It's just... Every, you, I, you know, we can all think of a bunch of reasons why this would be a sus relationship that has weird power dynamics. And it's ridiculous because it could be, in another author's hands, a kind of terrifying, kind of sexy, dark romance thing. But it's not. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's so funny. Just pick one. You gotta pick one. Yes. And understand that that's what you're working with. This middle ground Choose feels something. worse. Choose something. <laughs> so my favorite thing about this whole bullshit, ridiculous, uh, fade to black sex scene is that we mm-hmm. learn from Malachi's inner monologue that he's never, quote, taken a lover before. Mm-hmm. So, like, extra good job there, Malachi. Your first time is with a vampire mercenary. mercenary in the heart of midnight not just like some vampire mercenary who works for midnight no you're literally in midnight fucking a vampire so much baggage (laughs) so much baggage and you know what we've spent so much of this series unpacking the baggage i'm just gonna leave it sitting in the corner until the next time we go on vacation i don't feel like unpacking it don't even do the laundry who cares we can be stinky but i feel like we can all just take a moment to look at the baggage acknowledge it's there and move on yeah but hey you want to know you want to know the actual best thing what's that that is the first one-third of the book aka 100 pages yay we're already one-third of the way through let's get through the next third all right so after spending the briefest amount of time with the farmers possible where we don't even get their names like these people in the side quest do not matter Nathaniel chooses Malachi's next side quest. Mm-hmm. He's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, when you play like a like a forex game or Sims or something, and you find a Sim just sort of standing in the corner doing nothing, and you're like, buddy, how did you end up there? Okay, listen, let me send you to the library or something. <laughs> yes, this guy's got he's got a problem. I found him, and Jaguar was gonna like maybe rip his throat out no no let me just help you yeah so nathaniel no. tells him to he, he sends him to the Chantel land with a fucking coin that will help oh him get God. there because it's like a beauty power so it's go be one of the powers that be to help everyone rise up against midnight and then go back to misha like all right we swing this way okay back to midnight okay to Chantel. okay to misha Malachi, do you want to go to any of these places? Do you have a no. reason to go to any of these? No, somebody told you to? Okay. Yes. 
all, all right, of these cool. things. None of this has been his choice. His only choice was to knock on Theron's door or or see Theron or like, and even that doesn't feel consensual because it's like, what are you gonna do? Say no. <laughs> Yeah. But it's consensual. You know, I just thought of, you know, how you said, like, Jess- he's sitting in the hallway and Jessica is just like, Malachi, don't clutter up the hallway. Jessica, this wouldn't be a problem if your building wasn't a series of hallways. Just, <laughs> like, a room, two rooms, and then you wouldn't even notice Malachi taking up all of the hallway with his fucking legs. Oh my god, right? If you just had a rec room where, like, you're people who aren't enslaved, but also, like, aren't workers and just kind of show up. And like, why do you it's even let him through guy. the damn door, Jessica? But yeah, have have a fucking billiards room. Just anything but hallways. <laughs> all hallways, all the way down. Okay, so he arrives just in time for Misha and Aaron's coronation. It is the summer solstice. It's Namirda, if any of one you remember in Hawk Song. That was a big and important thing. Then Malachi pisses off Misha, and she throws him in prison for quote kidnapping and murdering Hara. She decides that's what she's going to put on him. Immediately, He's helped by Katie and Hara's former mate, Jabari, to escape. And here's one of the first times he actually makes a choice. Now he goes back to midnight. <laughs> He's just made a triangle. That's, I mean, that's all he... That's the only choice he ever makes is go back to this midnight. This is why this, this book is a pirate ship that's supposed to go back and forth. Right. And again, let's all look at the baggage. It's there. We there. all see it. Okay. Okay. He heads back to midnight. He dicks around for about six weeks with Theron, literally, with Nathaniel, figuratively, because he's been asked to come up with a way to cause a riot among the enslaved people in midnight. Which he doesn't do. No, he does not. (laughs) Malachi contributes nothing. And he wishes he was dicking around with Alistair, but he's not. (laughs) Hey, guess what? What? That's the next hundred pages. Yay, we're in the home stretch. (laughs) All right. Oh, wait. Oh, this is when he pisses off Jaguar. Okay. So he's he's trying to chat to Alistair and, and is like, I'm gonna, I could take you away. And she's like, no, not at all. And then he's like, gonna go check on Hara. And she's like, no, no, don't. And Jaguar shows up and is like, well, I'm pissed off that you're in Gabriel's rooms and I was checking on his stuff. And that's when Nathaniel saves his ass and literally tosses him. Literally. Out of midnight. Like, he changes form as he's cartoon throwing him out by the scruff, like, in a bar. <laughs> He gets jazzy jeffed into the air and then yes. flies off to the chateau. And he just whoop, turns into a falcon, <laughs> flies off. And where's he going? Oh, back to the chantel. Because this is the pattern you take. <laughs> and he's going there to be a TV for us. Like a, the proud tradition of Vance and Katie before him. Right. <laughs> he's the most egregious TV, though. Um, We meet Kei. My little bit of information on her is that her name is actually Keika, not Kei. Mm-hmm. We had a Kei in the Kieshara. We did. Who was that? Yeah, that fucking kid with the butterflies. Mm-hmm. Who was going to be Danica's and then Hai's daughter. Everyone always had a Kei. And Kei means hope. It's very confusing. If you've read the series before this and remember anything about it, you're like, Kei, is this that Kei? Right? Why would you reuse this name? The same with the falcon named uh, Sharis, which was fucking Zane's mom's name. I know. Is it the same Sharis? No, no it's Sharice. And you okay. could have just spelled it Sharice. You could have used any other fucking name. I, there are so many websites for this. There are so many names in the world and you keep using the same ones. 
it's so frustrating because it's like, this is a legitimate point of confusion for people who are familiar with your work. Yeah, your fans are like, oh my god, is that is that Kay? But why is Kay? she a falcon? Did did her and Nisius have a kid? Is this Kay? You're, where is your fucking editor to be like, nope, mm-mm, think of a different name. Any yeah. other name. <laughs> that would be me. I'd be like, Anything. don't fucking do it. When I'm like, you cannot be having Jessica, Jessica, and Katama. You gotta change that one. <laughs> I feel like this is the first thing that anybody would notice on a like the second read you're like oh i use the name james a lot that's weird i should change that to something else yeah you already like you can tell that the editor didn't exist because we had conversations in previous books where it was oh i had to change you know uh michael's name because it was it was nathaniel or whatever you know like or i had to change this name because it was christopher and i already had a christopher Mm mm-hmm Kay is so specific. Right? And unless you're intentionally trying to invoke that memory. Yes. But you're not because you don't do anything with this character. So change the fucking name. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and Keika means hopeless. And it's because she is Kajace Falcon, which means she has no fucking magic. But Kay is the only Falcon who will actually stand up to her fascist empire. And for that... I appreciate her fucking existence. Doesn't go anywhere, doesn't do anything, but at least she's willing to say it. That's, it's not a a character trait, but it's a thing that she says with her mouth, so. It's true, it's true. She came here and she can lie and it's great. Um, Also, Katie is here at the Chantel because that's where she is. Weeks pass, I guess. I, I hit some timeline fuckery and you know what? I didn't pause to figure it out. Good for you. Does not deserve the brain power. I literally looked at it and went, I don't care. Because there was other stuff later where I was like, but you just said it was four. You said it was a month away. Now you're saying after two weeks, it's three weeks. I'm like, I don't fucking care. But at this point, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I was like, eh. The final pre-planning meeting of the Council of Thirteen happens where everyone can see each other's faces except for the woman with the money. Oh my god, wait, can we just briefly mention how the first time they met, they were having like a Nick Fury council meeting where everybody was in silhouette? (laughs) They were in fog, yeah. There was definitely, it was a magical silhouette Zoom meeting. I love it so much. We're going to have to make sure in the the Bloodkin, not Dark Ride, but uh, the the walk through Haunted House, that we, we have a scene that's just a foggy room. Just fog. And then there's like... A poster of a silhouette of a person that you got off <laughs> iStock. Yes. And it's just sort of hanging in the background. Yep. And at the bottom, it just says connecting. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have a, one that says, you know, uh, that's a kitten. It just says, I'm, I'm not actually a kitten. <laughs> yes. Yes. That would be amazing. If like Katama was fucking with her settings and then she's like oh i'm a kitten now this is actually oh, this is great. cute i'll be a kitten thanks now you don't know who i am and then the fucking anime chick from um the from one about Poison the assassins yeah, yeah, yeah the yeah. anime chick shows up and she's like a vtuber <laughs> amazing i love it i love it <laughs> so that one happened and then this one no no uh settings you can't have a weird background and you've got to just be yourself Nathaniel turned all of that off. It was too distracting. And we're going to actually, like, say your names, except for, again, the lady with the bag. And uh, two more weeks pass. We're told two more weeks pass. 
And they're just prepping. They're just showing us shit about, like, they're making anything that the weapons touch set a flame spell and a don't look here spell. Three more weeks and it's go time. Everyone, grab a Sakri fortune cookie. <laughs> Wait, it just says 17, 14, 35. Oh, other side, other side. Oh, okay. Oh, this one says I'm going to kill a pregnant woman. That's weird. <laughs> Siobhan. Who's also here. (laughs) Siobhan, whose book exists and you can read at your local library. Why? Why is the fortune cookie about fucking Aaron? It's apparently the most significant thing that's ever happened to Siobhan, which fair. what? Taking down empires, right? Well, I mean, she does put her fucking personality or whatever the fuck into another person, which is pretty weird. I guess so, yeah. So that was another 50 pages right there. Mm-hmm. Nice, 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 nice. We're in the very, very end. Okay. They attack midnight. Hooray. And then on page 257 out of 294, Malachi makes his first, like, real decision. Because I guess even his decision to go back to midnight after he was imprisoned by Misha isn't a choice. It's kind of just a, I've got nowhere else to go. And it's really not framed that way. It's framed as, like, him capitulating to an impulse inside of him. Yeah. Because he's not going to go to the Chantel and he needs to know information. So it's not like he can just be like, well, fuck this. I'm out, you know, flipping you the double bird and doing a backflip off the fucking Grand Canyon and like live your life somewhere else. Right. He has to kind of be around to know that like Katie and Vance are okay, I guess. But he makes like his first real decision and it goes horribly wrong. It's to save a child that, like, some guard had come running out of the front door holding. So he was like, oh, he knew that there were not going to be anyone who was going to kill a child. And I'm like, fucking Siobhan would. Siobhan would kill a child. But you're lucky that she's burning Jessica's manor right now, okay? Oh, my God. I would love the alternate version of this scene where this guard comes out holding this child and Siobhan just fucking arrow through the forehead of the child and then the dude. And then the scene's just over. And she's like, what? <laughs> what? That's a slave. He's like, but it was crying and, and tears of the ch- children when they're not supposed to cry in midnight. So it was still okay for him. And I'm just like, it's a slave and you told me to kill all the slaves. Yeah, we. I, I'm sorry. We decided several chapters ago that these weren't human beings. Right? Like so... he gave us demonstration that they will do whatever their masters say. So I have no respect for life. Remember how your sister is like a hollow gourd? Like that. <laughs> that baby? Hollow gourd. Why is it hollow gourd? Because I hollowed it out. Because you said so. So it spent a day at midnight. So it's bad now. It's like rotten. <laughs> God, it's like six months old. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> no, what's funny is that we know that Siobhan actually does give a fuck about babies. So Yeah, but it is funnier to imagine Siobhan, the baby killer, just not giving a shit. I like try hard Siobhan so much better. <laughs> Siobhan would kill a technical child. You know, 16 yes. is still underage, so. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes to, to oh, save no, this child. I'm sorry. I'm hmm? not over this. Siobhan <laughs> just standing up, walking forward and be like, oh, kid, in 10 more years, I would absolutely put a knife in your heart. <laughs> We're not quite to that point yet. <laughs> She's like, hold on. How old do you say you are? Yeah, all right, you're safe. <laughs> Reverend Siobhan's whole thing was like, nobody has, is like without sin or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Aaron's like 16. And they're like, she's a child. Like, eh. That one's definitely sinned. That one's gone through puberty. Puberty is sin. 
okay, guard, hold this kid up. Does this kid look like it's gone through puberty? <laughs> no, this kid is six months old. Mm. Has this kid's balls dropped yet? No? <laughs> All right. I'm just going to stab you. It, the Falcons would absolutely kill it, though. That kid's been an adult for two years. <laughs> right? You are out of your mother's womb. So. <laughs> it's time for you to start paying taxes, motherfucker. And you're a human child? What do we care about you? Right. There are so many of these motherfuckers who have no qualms about killing children. What the fuck and are we talking about? we just didn't have any of them there. Like, how did you end up with the non-baby murdering ones at the front door? <laughs> I know. Rookie mistake. I honestly thought he was going to shoot the kid. Like, reading the scene, I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, same. Does he kill a baby? And then it's like, no, there are tears. I'm like, ah, you fucking softy. And you know, that's my favorite part of this is that like the whole reason, aside from him being a TV, that mm-hmm. Malachi goes to save this kid and then gets knocked out or whatever is so that he's not complicit in the murder of like hundreds of people because yeah, he passed well. out and like he tried to save the kid. So he technically did. he didn't set the building on fire. Oh, so. but he did. He was the one whose arrow first hit the door. Did it? Okay. Mm-hmm. I missed that part. But he tried to stop it after that. So that means he's fine. Well, he tried to stop the kid. He tried to help the kid. No, he's still complicit. He's absolutely fucking complicit in murdering hundreds of people. We are just like, we just ignore that. Hold on. I can, I am going to find this. Oh my God. I literally opened to the page. Fantastic. Wow. Manifest. Amazing. It wants me to tell it. I lifted my bow and felt the crackle of power like static electricity imbued into the wood. The string of blah, blah, blah. Who fucking cares? My arrow wasn't the first, but it was one of the first, okay, to strike the ornate wooden door, spearing a carving of Jessica's favorite hunting cat, a leopard. Okay, so he's not the first I was wrong, but he does manage to light it on fire. He also does try to shoot the baby. He does consider it until he sees that its face is streaked with tears. Well, no, doesn't he shoot, but his, like, hand is shaking too hard or something and his arrow goes astray or it's, like, Oh my god, I don't remember, but I hope it does. It definitely, like, he almost does it. I really, th- I really thought he was going to, and it was going to be one of those, like, moments of we've all lost pieces of ourselves, and I did what I had to, and blah, blah, blah. But no, fucking puss out in the very last minute. You're like, yeah. no, I can save this baby. Slaves are human. Malachi never personally murders any of the enslaved people in Midnight. He just helps light it on fucking fire, which means he helps them die, but he didn't, like, watch the light go out in someone's eye or feel the blood on his hands or something like that. Right. I get this vibe of, like, this child is Malachi's, like, oh, I was wrong moment. And Mm -hmm. so he, like, runs over to try to save the kid. And I feel like if you were to follow that to its logical conclusion, Malachi would have been like, no, stop, stop. We can't burn them. But then he gets, like, a knife in his chest. And I feel like that is sort of the extrapolation, like, the emotional extrapolation we're meant to make. Is that he thinks that they're human and are living beings. So that we, like, sort of acquit Malachi from the (laughs) atrocity that these people are all committing. F minus minus. All right. So he does get that. He gets knocked out. Um, As you mentioned, he also gets stabbed. But he doesn't know he's stabbed. He just knows he's knocked out. And his channels start switching while the climax of the book happens. 
It's like, hold on a sec. Let me get this antenna. If I if I turn it a little bit to the right. Oh, that's Alistair's channel. What if I... <laughs> well, if you put some tin foil on the rabbit ears, that'll make the signal stronger. <laughs> and uh, we'll be able to watch the, the Aislinn network first. Mm, is it Aislinn? That's how the author pronounces it. But how do you, how is it supposed to be? Ashling? I thought that was Ashling, right? A-I-S-L-I-N-N? Yeah, that's the Gaelic. Anyway. So we go to Nathaniel's girlfriend, slave, some some young woman that he has bought who is enslaved in Midnight, but he owns. And she's been putting, there was like a spell, so the whole like riot spell was put in her blood. And she's been fucking contaminating the food for the past several weeks. Right? Where is your health inspector? <laughs> Jessica would be so mad. <laughs> she would be. <laughs> oh, no. Jessica would be okay with the blood, I think. But contaminating. I don't know. So she dropped. She, yeah, she's been putting drops of blood in the food. That's obviously gone out to all of the slaves. So we see the start of that. Oh, and then we're going to switch over. Switch the channel. Click. And we're going to see Sarah Vita the first. And she interacts with Lila Light who's now a vampire. We actually get the words, you know, out of her about um, uh, Alexander and Rachel. So we actually, like, finally, in the last goddamn book, hear, hear Rasika's name again. Fantastic. But it's fine. We switch. No, that was so funny, though, because, like, if you weren't on the boards, you don't know who Lila is, right? Yeah. So somebody has to literally come in and be like, excuse me, Lila. Can I ask you about your children that you left behind? Rachel and Alexander turns to camera. <gasps> you know who this is? From the first book. Can I ask you again? She says Rachel and Alexander like three times. I'm like, okay, we get it. I called them cousins. I think she only says it once, but but either way. Yeah, otherwise we'd be like, who is Lila and why do we fucking care? It doesn't matter. And why is she trying to hide from the witches? It doesn't matter. Who fucking cares? It's so funny. Like, this, those meetings are like, you know, the crossover moment. It should have been the fucking Avengers. Yeah, but if you're not balls deep in the lore, you have no idea who some of these people are. And even being balls deep in the lore, I was still like, okay, those are just falcons. Like, we right. just bought a random falcon. I don't know this person. This person means nothing There's a random me. falcon. No one's ever met Katama. No one's ever met Alejandra. We've never run into... Oh, no, wait. We... It wasn't Silver. It was Jaeger. So it's like, we know Jaeger. We know Siobhan and Ajila. We know Nathaniel. We've been following Malachi and Vance. Fucking Crawl is there. Like, he shouldn't be able to put this on his resume. Helped bring down Midnight. No, fuck him. I love how the Sakri even had to say... You've been doing things that will make you live a long time. And that's how you're here hundreds of years before the book that we know you from. Right. And it's like, you don't have to fucking tell me that. I know these fuckers all live with a fucking big question mark at the end of their lifespan. Like, they can live however long Oh my god, Alejandro, where it's like, but Jaguar is hundreds of years old. How can you have the same mother? And it's like, magic. Okay, kid, just fucking shut up. Because I'm a supernatural creature and we're all basically the same one. And then fucking Den of Shadows. What do you want from me? Everybody looks like we're 20. It's fine. We're all immortal and teenagers and sexy. That's, I don't know what, check the manual. Which is so funny because I do not imagine them as teenagers. <laughs> I know, right? But they all basically are. Yeah, it's what they say when you ever get a description. But it's like, no, you look older, you look younger, like, I'm imagining them as normal people. 
<laughs> the books aren't. They're all sexy 18-year-olds. Don't worry about it. They're all Gross. CW characters. Yeah, they're all absolutely CW characters. Where you can't tell the parents from the children because they're all <laughs> the same age. That one's got a little bit of wrinkles. It's fine. <laughs> all right. And then it's almost dawn. Like we had like two channel switches and we get three channel switches. Boom, boom, boom. Like we don't even have a moment to breathe on these switches. We see Siobhan and she's there with Theron. She's like, oh, come on, let's get out of here. And it's like, Siobhan doesn't work for midnight. <laughs> this should look suspicious to him. He didn't call for her help. Right? Siobhan, <laughs> why are you Why are you here? You look- why are you here? What? Oh, it's not suspicious. It looks like I'm just covered in ash and blood and soot like everyone else. Come on, Theron, let's get out of here. Fuck you. And where's Ajila? You're just going to leave your fucking Triste lover? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> the word Triste shows up once in this book. Because no one, no one fucking cares about Ajila. He's a he. He could have been a himbo. <laughs> like <laughs> he's just arm candy. He could just be there. Like no one mentions what he is. Anyway, he's the only thing Ajila does of note is fuck with Ashlyn, which is, yeah, like he tests shitty. her. Yeah, he's like, I'll do it. I'll fucking test her. I'll stab her. I don't care. I'm a witch. I don't give I'd a shit. I'd love to see if she can. It's like, dude, as far as you know, she's just a fucking human. <laughs> like. You're so eager to jump up there and test this girl. Oh, and like the the whole thing with um what's her name? Siobhan and uh Theron is like the thing that they use to explain why they don't just kill the trainers. They oh, do yeah. that thing where they're like, Oh, well everybody is connected to somebody who would murder you specifically. specifically. If yeah. they found out that you were involved in this. And it's like, you fucking cowards. So what Basically. if they murder you? Right? It's like, hey, Siobhan, how about you just fucking let us murder Theron? Oh, no. I would take, if you try to take him out in the course of this, you know, I'll come after you. Like, fine. Let's go. Right? Again, the whole idea of the the witches, the mocked witches, Sarah Vita and Avril Lavigne. I don't know. <laughs> Avril Arun. Oh, God. I would have fuck it. fine. Our whole like it sucks. You're gonna do yeah. a goddamn genocide on my people. But I killed Jessica. But this is what we're literally trained for. Like this is our whole ethos. Yeah. They're hunters. These aren't just like helpless kids. Get no. your helpless kids out of here. This is just it's so funny that like it's such like a cynical world that Amy has created in which no one is willing to like sacrifice themselves for like a good cause, except for Malachi kind of leans there, but even he is like, I don't want to die. It's like, you fucking cowards. Have some fucking conviction. Oh, but wait, in this world, having convictions means you're crazy. Anybody with a plan must be crazy. Okay, anybody who believes in something. (laughs) Unless it's money. Yeah, right. Only only if you are uh, motivated by money are you, like, objective. Yeah, yeah, capitalism is fine. But don't be too good at capitalism where you're, you know, enslaving people. Don't do that. Which, you know, fair. Don't. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Like, Jessica is the is the not logical conclusion, the illogical conclusion of capitalism. And that's bad. You got to rein it in and not go that far. But everything else for money is fine. Yeah, right. So then we go to Alejandra. I can't remember. I think it was just she realized it was time to go and, like, fucking grabbed her brother because Jaguar's her brother. And hightails it out of there. And then we switch to Nathaniel. Oh, God, his is literally a fucking paragraph. Nathaniel clasped Taro's hand to help him stand and pointed out that Varric had already gone. It was time to find safer ground. 
Yeah, so both Siobhan and Nathaniel pull up. I was definitely here helping. I'm not suspicious. My house has been cleaned out of all my valuables and servants, but don't worry about why. (laughs) But it burned too. Don't worry. Okay. Malachi wakes up so he can be his own cameraman to hear the woman with the money tell Jessica that it wouldn't make sense for Gabriel to have done all of this. Don't murder him because his prizes burned too. I just want to say before I move on, I will never understand why she stopped Jessica from killing Gabriel. Why not just let her kill him? Jessica's the only one who would try to avenge his murder. I mean, I guess Katama just doesn't want her sister killing somebody that she maybe cares about. I guess, but it's just very weird to me. It's like, oh no, it's okay if you kill him because like, you're the person who's allowed to kill him. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's They like to pretend that these characters are human beings when it suits them. And, like, just remorseless murder machines when it doesn't. And she even stabs him in, and, like, Malachi comments about, like, she was probably aiming for the heart. So it's like, you did just attempt to murder him, and then Katama steps in. It's like, his prize is burned, too. It's like, is the only reason because he survives? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> otherwise, I would let her do it. I'd be like, yeah, oh, man, it was absolutely Gabriel. Oh, real sus, huh? Gabriel. What were you How thinking, suspicious? I mean, it's unfortunate his prizes burned too. He was even willing to let that go. Wow. But he has been, you know, like out a lot lately and he like didn't really do anything with that Cobra princess and he'd even been ignoring the hawk. I feel like Gabriel's been quiet quitting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It feels like his heart's just not in the work anymore. Like in he just comes, work. he clocks in, he tortures a few women, and then he leaves. And it's like, where's the dedication, Gabriel? You used to be passionate about this. Right? If you want to go to the sea, like, just fucking say it. You didn't have to burn down Midnight. Right? He'd have been we- such a good scapegoat. But, you know, Gabriel is in Midnight Predator, which is set 200 years in the future, so he can't die. Yep, a lot of this would uh, benefit from not peeing in the Den of Shadows. All right, plot twist that doesn't matter because we never knew her anyway. Katama was the one in the Chantal Forest with the candelabra. Jessica's twin sister hired Nathaniel to take away her toys. I'm sorry, what? She had a candelabra? All right, she was in the library with the candelabra. Oh, you're making a clue joke. Okay. I'm making a clue joke. I'm sorry. I thought that was a detail that you were just standing in the forest holding a candelabra. And I was like, what? It was Katama in the Chantel forest with the bag of money. Okay. Okay. I get it now. But if I say bag of money, it doesn't sound like a clue joke. That's a funny joke. I get it. Thank you for explaining it to me. (laughs) I thought it was just a stupid AB detail. My bad. Could have been, right? Like, oh, yes, she brings a candelabra everywhere. All right. How did we not know it was her if she brings a candelabra everywhere? I know. That's her signature weapon, which is weird (laughs) because those vampires just use knives. But And even though, you know, I just live in the forest and I'm part of Obsidian, I know everything. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I know, right? I'm like, Malachi, how do you know so much about the Falcons? How do you know fucking Shumhimla or whatever the fucking name of the language is? Right? How do you know it? Oh, the stuff that I gleaned from dreams. It's like, fuck that off. Falcon magic bullshit. Yeah. I'm here so that I can help K.E. talk to the Sakri because I know Falcon stuff. It's such a blank check, and I hate every time Amy uses it. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. All right, but yeah, it's Katama, and we've never fucking met her before, and it doesn't matter, so, like, who even cares? 
Malachi heads to the rendezvous and only one person is there because he's super late and it's his would-be boyfriend if the plot would let Vance be old enough. They return to the Chantel and interact with no one. And then it's TV time for Misha, where we see her just kind of like stressing about being near Aaron and things like that. And then we switch away. This book wants to be a multi-perspective book so bad. Yeah. And I don't know why it's tethered to Malachi. Just be multiple perspectives. <laughs> there are people who are already at these places. You didn't need to send him. I just don't, I don't know, like, from a writing standpoint, from an editor standpoint, why did nobody just say, Amy, it's fine, have multiple protagonists, because this is a bad compromise. And we know that they did it with all just glass. It's not like this is something you've never done before. Right. Why tether yourself to Malachi? It weakens the book so bad, like... Probably because the previous ones were all one perspective, but even those, I think, would have benefited from (laughs) at least two perspectives. Absolutely. This could have been just, a you know, centered around events and had multiple characters. Like, Game of Thrones fucking exists, and it's a hit TV show when these are coming out. So why are you trying to force- They could have been that kind of thing, because there's all these fucking empires and tribes and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, this is a place where that influence would clearly not be unwelcome. Yeah. So I don't understand why you're trying to force it into this shape and just making a fucking awful book worse in the process. <laughs> and it's not like these ones were any part of the original Ebony series either, where it's like, well, this has always been so-and-so's book. No, you're literally making it up right now. Well, no, and you're pulling parts from different people's books, presumably, because we get so many different perspectives. No, for sure. There are sections where I'm like, that is literally from so-and-so's book. Yeah. So, like, why not just make this a multiple perspective thing? Like, and these were published in, like, what, 2014 to 2016? Yeah. Like, epic fantasy was a big thing in YA, and there were definitely books told from multiple perspectives. So, I... Mm -hmm. I don't understand why they let this be the way that it is. Why anybody let this be the way that it is. Yeah. It's like, oh, you worked so hard to get it just right. Did you ever think about getting it right then? It's very confusing. Mm-hmm. All right. Our three Mavra protagon- or narrators, I should not call them protagonists, join an exile encampment until there's a rumor about a golden-haired woman who was seen talking to the Chantel Prince. And Malachi gets a boner and has to fly off to make sure his creepy crush can resume on a woman he had sold into slavery, uh, sexual slavery, and spies on from her own mind. Whoosh! Off he goes to the Chantel. He doesn't even say goodbye. He's just no. like, I gotta go. Flap, I gotta flap. go. I've been fapping to the memory of her, but if she's still alive, I'd like to be in her brain again. <laughs> TV time for Kay about what happened to the Sakri, because that mattered. It's not about whatever happens to Kay and her whole fascist empire that she was plotting against. It's not like we ever saw Charis Charisse again, who was like the Falcon project that Jaguar had given up on and that Kay had like shown up for to be like, I want to make sure my mentor is okay. She's not. We don't know who the Falcon Jaguar took and after her was, but I can presume that both of them burden in midnight because Nathaniel only borrowed Charisse for the night. Right. And we never talk about anybody again. So yeah. It's like, we don't know who the other one is. We never see Cherise again. And Kay's end is to show us that the Sakri died before she could get back to her land, which is super bleak and awful. 
And then just fucking dissipated. Yeah. She's a fucking blade vampire and just turns to, like, nothing. <laughs> I like the idea that she just, like, was somebody was slowly turning down the opacity on her, you know? <laughs> like, watch, I can do this. <laughs> I can do this in uh, in Photoshop. You want to grab the Sacre layer and then just <laughs> lower the opacity. Right, 55%. Oh, now back to 100. Oh, oh, oh she's flickering in and out. Wait, she's got one more thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are given the info that it's mid-October, which means three weeks passed since the attack on midnight. That's how long they were in this exile encampment. They play so fast and loose with time. Like, so much shit will happen over the course of, like, two days, and then we'll go six months with absolutely nothing. This all started at, like, some point in June, and then it's like, oh, it's midsummer. Oh, two weeks passed, three weeks passed, two weeks passed, two weeks passed. I'm like, okay. My favorite part is the very beginning where Malachi is sent to Midnight by Misha when they're still, like, huddling in the forest, sort of planning the the coronation thing. And then he co- he's there for literally, like, two days. And when he comes back, Misha's being coronated. And I was like, what happened in fast forward off screen while you were gone? <laughs> she put a lot of people in cells. <laughs> Right? There's so much that's gone on in the Serpiente court. It's like, Misha, how did you get the cells prepared in the amount of time? I know. And this is where it would have been great to have multiple perspectives. Or like put some of those fucking two weeks that you, you have in the next time Malachi is in midnight. Just just scoot some of those. This weeks one over didn't there. have to be forty-eight hours. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. It's again, it's one of the things where like the writing and pacing is so fucking weird. And I feel like any editor should have been like, mm-mm, maybe make this a little longer. And they just didn't. Yeah. Cause you know what? You could always add more stuff to the beginning. If <laughs> your whole fucking series. You didn't tell us what day Farrell died. We just know that this starts immediately on that, you know, like next morning. So like, come on. Well, and it's not like Amy's somebody who chronicles every minute anyway. Like there are plenty of montages in this book to pass time. So like, why be so specific? It's yeah, so weird. Including this one. Where it's just like three weeks have passed. Yep. All right. It's mid-October. Well, we know that all that went down on the literal fucking date of September, like, 22nd, 1804, whatever. Right. Because you tell us it in every fucking book you can possibly mention it. All right, so he's dragged before Harakia Shikobriana, because, of course, they say her full name every fucking time in case we forgot. Mm-hmm. And then he decides that Alistair is fine because of how Hara doesn't lord her death over him and passes out. TV time for Aislinn again, escaping with Ashley's, uh, Alistair's, help from midnight, where she rises on angel wings fulfilling Nathaniel's prophecy from the Sacre fortune cookie about how his heart like escaped on angel wings or whatever. And it's like, but they never see each other again because he thought she's dead. It's like, oh my God, whatever. Which is like the wrap up to another book. We weren't fucking like these characters just cruised in like, hey, we've been having a plot line. It's been going on for quite a while. We're just going to kind of imply that. And then you're going to see the end of it, even though you have no investment in it. And and we'll never know, and it doesn't matter, and also it's like a bummer ending, which is like, you know, I'm usually okay with bummer endings, except that everyone's getting bummer endings. Mm-hmm. Except for the ones that deserve it. And, uh, uh. So, so Malachi wakes up in a cell, but it's not actually a cell, it's not locked. And Alistair is okay, and Hara is there, and Malachi gets his groove back. The end. Oh, wait, there's an epilogue. Alistair. 
the hawk princess should be queen now gets the fucking epilogue. Who are you? Excuse me, ma'am. (laughs) Ma'am? Who are you? I don't know you. And, like, we've seen scenes of her from Shkay's perspective, because at the beginning of each of these fucking chapters, Malachi's a TV. Uh, And we get some of them from her perspective, and it's just like, dude, stop fucking spying on her. But, like, this wasn't... I'm sorry, ma'am? Ma'am, this isn't your book. This This isn't your book. No, you were assigned to book C3. (laughs) This is C2. I need mm-hmm. you to move. Yeah, you gotta go. This You can't sit here. Uh, she again tries to make us feel bad for Gabriel. Oh, hey, Ollie. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, did you know Gabriel really loves Alistair? Oh, I'm gonna stab something. Hey, did you know that? Did you know that I he didn't. loves I didn't. I haven't been told that five times. Oh, hold on a sec. Yeah. He loves Alistair. He <laughs> might be holding her too close. Maybe he doesn't really know how to love her. Maybe God, she reminds wouldn't that be so him sad of something if like a, he lost. A white dude didn't know how to love. You know, maybe you can you can feel like he wants to be a better person. He just doesn't know how. For her, who he kidnapped and enslaved after fucking her once. But he just loves her, you know, mm. so. Yeah, and she kind of maybe one wish that like some part of her wishes that they were still together. It's almost like he's a good guy. Like, almost. Like, he's not. Hold on. Hold on. Before you... Hey, everybody, put down your fucking pitchforks. He's not a good guy. He's, <laughs> he's not, not a good a guy. Good guy. <laughs> but he does love her in his own way. And in it's his twisted. own way. And I get it. It's twisted. But maybe it's a little bit hot. Maybe it's a little <laughs> If that bit. was the dark romance you wanted to write, fucking write it. But no. But it's twisted and it's wrong. <laughs> but does he love her? But he does love her. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The worst part about this epilogue for me Uh is that neither Alistair nor Hara are back on their thrones yet. We didn't even jump ahead enough in this fucking epilogue. It's only only winter. It's like December. (laughs) (laughs) It went from mid-October to probably like early to mid-December because my, you know, extraneous knowledge is that Hara takes her, Hara gets her groove back on the winter solstice. Because that's another fucking serpent holiday or something. So it's like, it's December. (laughs) They're still not back on their fucking thrones. You couldn't even jump ahead and tell us, yeah, and we fucking stormed the castle and we, I guess, murdered Misha. Like, no, there's still plot lines open. It's so, oh my God. So my favorite part about this book, right, is that Mm -hmm. this whole series supposedly has supposed to have been about the fall of midnight. And then we finally get to the fall of midnight and it occupies all of two paragraphs. <laughs> two paragraphs. Even when Malachi, I mean, Malachi immediately gets knocked out. Yep. But even in Malachi's stupid TV visions, there are like maybe two that take place while midnight is burning. And the rest. And Lila's. Yeah. And the rest are immediately like, oh, uh, Varric, let me help you up there. Oh, Theron, come with me. It's all after it. Oh, Jaguar, come with me. Aislinn's is before. <laughs> it's an incredible anticlimax. We don't know how Hara escaped. She didn't get dragged out on wings. Like, how'd she get out? It's like anti-humor. It's like anti-storytelling. <laughs> like, who does this? Who spends two books building up to the destruction of a fucking empire? And then And we know about it from since Midnight Predator. 
Right? Right? Like the whole reason you're writing these books are supposedly to watch Midnight Bird and you won't even let us do that. Right? Like put us in the horrible fire. Like let us see the people on the inside freaking out and the vampires and whatnot. Like, no. Because it's a bummer. Well, you know what else is a bummer? The, sh- the Sakri dying within inches of her homeland. Nathaniel thinking that Aislinn had burned up in the fucking fire that he set. That's a fucking bummer. Kay, we don't know shit about the Falcons. What's a bummer about the Falcons? We don't know what the fuck happens to them. <laughs> yeah, but those are all characters that Amy cares about and not the nameless slaves that are sacrificed in the name of bringing down Midnight's economic prosperity. What about the Celeste? Jaguar's Celeste? We never see her in this entire series, and she's the one that Jaguar was like, oh, I realized I never had to raise a hand to her when I was when I was a fucking slave owner in Midnight. Where's she? Isn't that the, the blind, blind one. one that Vance yeah. interacts with? Because there is, she's also um, Azteca. Oh, okay. Well, we never get her, her fucking name. No, we never get her name. Did she fucking burn? Good question. What about Aislinn's friend that Nathaniel was having her heal? Did she fucking burn? What about the little kid that they saved who hung out there when his dad was working? Hey, Ollie. Yeah? Does Amy care about those people? <laughs> no, no. They all fucking burned. And I just want to remind everyone, they all fucking burned. Uh, hey, who didn't burn? Mm, uh, the trainers and Jessica. Hey, that's weird. Isn't it weird? Isn't it weird when you save the fucking villains? Oh, and the princesses. Right? And is it super funny how if we'd been able to see the destruction of Midnight, what we would have seen was hundreds of innocent people burning? Maybe that's why we didn't see it. Maybe that's why this whole fucking trilogy was terribly conceived in the first place. (laughs) Remember when Brina snapped her young servant boy, a.k.a. Slave's neck, because she knew that everything was burning? (laughs) That happened here. I genuinely didn't remember that. (laughs) Oh, that was the very beginning of PTK. Right, right. Yeah, we saw the scene with Sarah Vita that we see again in this fucking book. And we saw Brina being like, oh, I see what's happening here. I'm just going to do a mercy and murder this kid. Right, because I'm really not that bad, white feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck her. Oh my god. Anything horrifying and emotional so that we'd be like, wow, that was awful. Because then we would be like, but you you killed all those people. <laughs> you turned them all into molten slag. And oh wait, did you decide not to kill the trainers because you were afraid that Uncle Siet was gonna come and spank you? <laughs> Sarah Vita the first with no H. You fucking cow. You're all cowards. And that's why I hate this world. Every single one of you is just so terrified that somebody's going to put a fucking knife in you. They talk such a big fucking game. I could be a fucking den character at that point. <laughs> I know. You know what? I'm also afraid of getting injured. But you know what I don't do? Hunt vampires or emotionally abuse my children <laughs> into like conforming to the fucking standards I need them to be to hunt vampires. <laughs> but, like, can you imagine? It's like you hunt vampires. Like, kill the ones that do the worst stuff. Why are you only killing the ones that don't matter? Because they're all, 
They're all, and here's my string board. It's all in service to the system. We can't bring mm-hmm. down anybody at the top because that would throw things into instability. We can, we can only, take out the little ones. We can only take out the little ones in Crime Alley, like <laughs> nobody else. The it's Joe like, Chill of vampires. Truly, we can't kill the Joker, but we can sure murder that burglar. Like, <laughs> take out the court of owls? Ugh. <laughs> you fucking cowards. Every single Absolute one of you. Absolute cowards. Cowards is like the word I want all of them to hear when they die every time a vampire murders <laughs> them. I would like to cowards. personally teleport into these books just to whisper it in their ear as they die. You fucking cowards. You killed <laughs> children because you couldn't bear the thought of taking responsibility for your own fucking And that actions. your people might also then die. Right? And that's also it. It's like, not my people. Altruism? What's that? Oh, no. Remember when we were reading Vampire Diaries and a teenage girl was willing to give her life even though she knew it wouldn't make a difference because it was the right thing to do? I hate that Elena fucking Gilbert (laughs) is a better person. Than every single character in the Dead of Shadows. Hold on. We have to fix the list. (laughs) I'm so upset that I wrote it in dry erase because now I have to redraw all of the lines. We need to get magnets. Yeah, we should. Magnets would be good. We can move it around. Because we know that that Jessica Aladola is at the fucking top. Oh, yeah. But we thought, we thought Elena fucking Gilbert was second. I think even Jessica at this point gets shuffled down closer to the bottom as we just slap up Sarah Vita, Siobhan, Ajila, like Lila can go up there. All of the people in the fucking Council of Thirteen, y'all get up there. Take a bow. Everything, Nathaniel, you're on there too. I don't care. You were also a coward. The fact that he was like, come on, let's get out of here. I'm like, you, you're all just going to pretend that you're, you're helping and not part of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even even after it's done, Nathaniel's like, well, I, listen, I still got a house. <laughs> no, he doesn't. His house got burned, too, to, to not have it be suspect. But he had all of his stuff moved to, like, a safe house. So, like, he has another house. Oh, yeah, yeah, for house. sure. He still got his shit. Yeah, and Nathaniel's like, I got a place to go home to. Like, sure, that girl that I kind of, like, died, but, you know, right? I get paid. This girl I've been hanging out with for six months, what's that matter to me? I'll find another one. It's fine. You could, um... Hang out with a girl who's not been enslaved since birth. That would be. You could. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, take a seat. (laughs) Nathaniel, you're also trash. You should know better, sir. You should know better. Yeah. Yeah, he should. All right. The final lines of this bullshit book series written by Alistair. Mm. The final two lines. We are all starting new lives now. We are all learning through hardship and determination what it means to be dot 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 free. What? That's the note. That's the note. What? Free. What? Free. What? (laughs) That's what you should take away from this book. What? 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 I genuinely, this was the point where I was, I just put, I like closed the window and then I opened a new one and I was like, did somebody else review this book? Could somebody please (laughs) explain to me what the fuck this is supposed to mean? Oh man, you got to the end and you're like, 
Someone help. <laughs> I, what? When? When was that what this book was about? That was never what this book was about. Not for a single fucking moment. No, not at all. And if this was meant to lead into, it wasn't, but if it was meant to lead into a fourth and final book that was from her perspective, like, it wouldn't, but maybe it would make any sense? It would still be trash. Yeah, yeah, it, because it, it wouldn't make sense, because it's not the ending to Malachi's Yeah, that's not story. this book. It's like, that could be the opening to book four. Sure. <laughs> Go for it. Please don't. But, like... That's not the end of Malachi's book. Yeah. What is, Ali, tell us what is the end of Malachi's book. Yes. Okay, great. I would love to do that. His final paragraph. I, Malachi Obsidian, creation of Mistress Jessica, prophet and inspiration of the Obsidian Guild, who had conspired against the greatest empires in the world, now had a goal. I would see not just one, but two queens to their rightful thrones, or I would die trying. Who are you? Boy, you shouldn't be getting a goal three pages from the end of the book, for starters. You're going to see two queens back on their rightful thrones, or die trying? Malachi Obsidian? I know we discussed last book that Obsidian's whole ethos was bullshit, but Malachi doubles down on that ethos so many times in this book. Yeah, he like knelt (laughs) to her and called her his queen. And there was like something earlier on where it was like, yeah, but you know, like you can choose to do what you want. It's like, that is not your fucking ethos. Right? The ethos of Obsidian isn't, your kink is not my kink and that's okay. (laughs) Everyone's allowed to do what they want. Risk aware consensual lives. No, it's we don't bow to kings. You know, it's like, what is it? No, No kings, no masters. Like... But then Amy, like, puts their toe in the door and then wedges it open just a little bit, just a little bit, squeak, 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 squeak. (laughs) And they're like, hey, it's because... Malachi's just never found anybody worthy of being a queen. He just hasn't found the right queen yet. Oh my god. Squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> squeak, okay, I'm gonna go now, bye. Okay. Oh my fucking god. So, it especially pissed me off that that whole, like, I now had a goal. And I was just like, alright, great, we'll just wrap that up in the epilogue. Sounds good. Ron Howard narrator, a voiceover above me going, they wouldn't. They would not. They would not. No. <laughs> like, I know that the whole point was to burn down Midnight, but his personal journey here really needed to be uh, getting these two back on their thrones, I guess. If that's his supposed goal now. Yes, let's just put the monarchy back in its place. Thank you. Don't mind me. I didn't mean to take those two out of their spots where they rightfully belong. Let's make sure that these daughters rule so that Zane and Danica would be proud of them. It's so that, like, that fantasy fallacy of, like, well, if we just put the right king on the throne, the right queen, it's about people. You know, some people, like my sister, hollow gourd, can't be trusted. Born from slavery. (laughs) She's not cool to rule. 
But Alistair is fine. Went through the same thing. But she's She fine. came out okay. Not a hollow gourd. It's okay. She's still got, there's still some seeds in there. So she's all right. <laughs> Shake that gourd, still got seeds. Yeah. And, you know, Hara too, probably, I don't know. I don't really care for her. But anyway, like Alistair likes her. So like, you know, that's fine. It, and again, like from a thematic perspective, it's like, then what's the point? Right. What's the point? What are you telling me by having Malachi go back on this thing that was supposed to be core to both his guild and himself? Like, what are you showing me by having him do that? And I honestly, like, wrestled with this until I decided, like, we're just going to leave that baggage in the corner. Yeah. I was just like, what is the point then? Like, because we go on, out on that note of, like, free. And I'm like... Okay, so are you saying that Malachi should be free to change his mind if he wants to? Like, yeah, sure, I guess. But then, like, what does that say in, like, the larger context of Midnight that, like, these people who fucked you over, it, like, it's fine if it's different people. Like, that's not addressing a systemic issue. So -hmm. then, like, if that's what you're going for, then I'm just going to sit here and be like, that's a really weird, like, short-sighted theme. Yeah. You know, your theme doesn't resonate through the rest of the world that you've built. So For then three books. Yeah. So then it just doesn't come through at all. It's just so muddy. Mm-hmm. So I didn't touch on mm-hmm. the TV time when it was Alistair at the beginning. I wanted to mention that something that like I, I woke up pissed about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Please. It's in relation to the epilogue. That's why I need to talk about it now okay. rather than throughout so when it's her tv time it feels like or it felt like it was leading to that she has remained herself that maybe she'd been playing gabriel there's a couple times where maybe she believes the lies a little too hard or whatnot and like she had to do some stuff like murder a boy to save his life basically or to save him future suffering that it's like yeah that does sound pretty fucked up (laughs) and like maybe you wouldn't want to return to your people kind of thing as a murderer you know Mm -hmm. and i know we talked about it but i'm going to talk about it again the idea that the avian reserve might have protected her Mm -hmm. so to have in the end this epilogue and have her still being hesitant about like going back to her life and the fucking gabriel shit felt like not where the narration was bringing us since we're not going to get her story. Author, why not just have her be a strong but traumatized woman rather than hesitant and unsure and not wanting to do stuff and still thinking maybe it would have been better to go with Gabriel and let him take her away? Like, have her be like, yeah, I'm here. I'm ready. I will never let this happen to anyone else again. Mm-hmm. She got herself out. She didn't even need our sometimes narrator to do it, mm-hmm. which makes him even less of a protagonist of the story to have it go out on her note. We were like, oh, look at that. She got herself out. She didn't fucking need you. Right? Like, I, I'm glad that she did. But then why why is Malachi here? Who are you? <laughs> we why didn't need him. He's pointless. And yeah, so it's like, it just makes me very mad because it's one, another one of those moments of Alistair's story has always been Alistair's story. Look at your fucking narrative promise and have it be like, my avian reserve protected me. You had never had a hawk before. I was playing him. (laughs) I will never let anyone have this happen to them again. I'm going to make sure everyone's free. I'm going to offer help to any of the, you know, escaped 
people who had been in this system, in this um, enslaved and whatnot. No, it's also fucking wishy-washy. We're all learning to be free. I'm, yeah, I had a related issue with Alistair where I felt like we sort of pivoted from Midnight being like a sort of systemic capitalism stand-in to mm-hmm. for Alistair and and Misha and Malachi actually for all three of them to it pivoting to this position of like an abusive partner mm. and it's a lot worse well things can mean different things like that's fine but like in this trilogy it has not been that before right like midnight midnight yeah. has always been economic it's been a system it hasn't been personal has been personal yeah, in this series, like it, it is somewhat in Midnight Predator, but we're talking about the Mavra. So for it to sort of pivot to that, to this, where you have the situation where like Malachi is, ke- keeps being drawn to it, even like despite the trauma he's experienced there, yes. because it's like the only place that kind of feels like home to him. Like that reads like an abusive relationship, right? Yeah, for sure. Where you're like, well... I don't feel like I deserve good things. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the person who abuses me. Well, at least I know the abuse and how to handle it. Right. And that's like, that's where he finds a lover, even though it's super consensual. Look at my neon sign. <laughs> like, that's where he finds a lover. It's not in his guild. It's in like... Right. Because the- he even makes comments about like, no one would think that I would possibly want that. Yeah. It's in the like place of his trauma and then you have uh misha who has a similar thing where she's sort of like chasing death but it's like death by the hand of her abusive lover right yeah and then you have alistair who is also dealing with like that i shouldn't have tender feelings towards the person who kidnapped and abused me but i do for the past year Yeah, and Malachi doesn't judge me for it. So, like, we're going to acknowledge that that's, like, part of a healing process or whatever, right? So, like, first of all, for me, pivoting Midnight that way doesn't work because, like, it hasn't been that before and then you don't really do anything with it. Mm -hmm. It needed to exist in the first book if it was going to be. Yeah, it needed to be more personal. And there sort of was that layer to it where it was, like, Vance was breaking up with his racist family but it wasn't abuse it was your racist family (laughs) yeah it was like a difference of opinion uh i think people should be uh not enslaved and you think they should okay right and for katie it was purely like an economic slavery thing like it was not what's the word intimate partner abuse she had never been involved with midnight yeah, so it didn't really serve that function, but it does here. Which makes her a really odd odd character to follow. Yeah, I again, I don't know why Katie exists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've never known. But the other reason it doesn't work for me is because we're told so many times that midnight breaks people. Yeah. And they go so hard on that with Misha, with such a lack of empathy that the empathy that they sort of try to extend to Alistair feels icky. <laughs> like it feels inconsistent. You're the beautiful girl I want to marry. And this is my broken sister. 
Yeah. So like why Alistair and Misha both experienced the, thing, so the same thing. Arguably, Alistair might have gotten it worse because she was actually a focus of Gabriel's attention, right? Yeah. For a year, he wanted her. Right. He wanted her. Like he didn't care for Misha the way he loved Alistair. And Misha wasn't there as as long. She had been... Her and her brother had been bounced around because nobody nobody cared for them. Right. So they both experienced the same thing. So why does the narrative treat Misha so horribly and not this has Alistair? Been my question. And like the it goes back to that thing that we sort of saw in Midnight Predator and in um All Just Glass, where it's like certain victims are responsible for their own victimhood and if you just have a strong enough character you'll come out of it fine but if you have a bad character you'll become irreparably damaged by it or a villain yeah Yeah. we saw the same thing with turquoise this has definitely been the thing that that this author does they just choose who whose damage fucks them up and makes them a bad guy right or an empty husk like, oh, some blood dolls are just awful. They're addicts. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's a flaw in character and not necessarily the responsibility of the people who afflicted it. Because, look, Alistair is fine. Alistair is fine and Gabriel loved her. Clearly, and she was also there with with Gabriel. And she was there longer. Yeah. And Alistair, you know, she has some issues. It's mostly that she's scared and hesitant. Yeah. So... It just, it rings false to sort of pivot Midnight in this way and then to apply it so inconsistently, I guess, is my biggest issue. Which is why I wish it was Alistair survived by hiding herself, using her avian reserve, disengaging, like dissociating, you know, not DID, but like dissociation is a thing. Mm -hmm. And just like, yeah, I'll just dissociate. Uh, I'll be Ashley when he needs me to be. And inside, I'm still Alistair, and it might take me a little bit of time, but I'll figure it out. And when I get out, uh, I'll sort my shit out. I'm just, I'm traumatized. I've had some fucking trauma. I wish that they had just extended any development or empathy to Misha. Like, oh, for, well, and that's what I was saying in the first book, too, where it's like, I hate the way the books treat Misha. Mm-hmm. I remember last book, you were like, this book made me hate Misha, so I'm glad you've come back around to fuck. Oh, no, I still it's- hate her. Which is fine, because she's not a good character, but it's not, like, it's not her fault, it's the narrator's fault, it's the author's fault. The author has made her a bad character. Mm-hmm. And if the narrative would just allow her <laughs> some fucking empathy, and for this to not be, oh, her magic, her fucking magic pussy juices are doing this <laughs> thing that's making everybody love her. Oh, she wants to be a trainer too, blah blah blah. Imagine if they had put the pussy juices in that blood mix. Oh, think <laughs> of the fucking... <laughs> Don't do it. The blood, like, no. Any, any fluids, no. Think of the stew we could have had. Right? Dear Malachi, your ability to make people not be seen, could you harvest that? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I need you to come into this cauldron. That's what I mean. <laughs> I will not be doing that, thank you. (laughs) You're funny. Okay, never mind. She's like, can we do it any other way? And she's like, well, I guess... The blood won't work. The blood witch isn't the one who's working on this. This is the semen witch. (laughs) Right. No, that's right. Somebody comes out and they're like, Brunhilda, go back 
to the hut. We said you were not needed. And then the Sakri comes up. She's like, I'm so sorry. She was not supposed to be here. We can use your blood. <laughs> we can use anything. She is just, she's just, you know, she's got a kink and we don't shame her for it. But there has to be consent, and you weren't giving your consent, and that's fine. And there's also, you know, informed, enthusiastic consent. Yeah. And you're not informed. The information is, yes, we can use your semen, (laughs) but we can also also use use your blood. blood. Or your tears. Anything is fine. Now, that being said, we do have a private area with some magazines, if that would be easier for you. So if you prefer to jack off into this cup yes i did have somebody do a sketch of the hot queen last time she was here why do you ask (laughs) malika's like i can do it now (laughs) yeah he's like semen no problem coming up yeah i'd prefer you not cut me get it coming up up. Uh (laughs) oh man so uh we're not gonna drink this right (laughs) okay cool you're like oh well, blood's really not that much better. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. People swallow cum all the time. I did it with Theron. <laughs> I know, I know. Malachi's like, I I'd would never actually... had sex before, but you know, I would I would go another round. Oh man. But yeah, Misha is a, a bad character. Uh she's poorly written. It's because everyone in this fucking world decides whether or not Midnight broke you or not, and then the author says, Okay, cool. Yeah, no. Like, bitch, you have been telling me for three books, you spend a day in midnight, you're irreparably broken forever. Then fucking put that hawk on the floor. She should be Swiss cheese. Why is she (laughs) the exception? Why is Hara the exception? And Hara, yeah. Like, oh, we got to get her out. It's like, why? You all all have told us exactly the problem. Look at what Misha is. Do you want to, do you really think that's better? Right. Shouldn't shouldn't this be a problem? And again, it's why I need a fucking answer. I need it to be because she's a fucking royal avian. Fine, I'll believe it that your magic protects you and that your reserve protects you. Fine. But could you please, please just be nicer to all of these people who didn't choose it? I would still be mad because it's still bullshit the author made up to avoid applying these stupid world rules consistently. Like, no, you made your fucking bed, Amy. Lion. <laughs> you killed I, hundreds I respect of your opinion on that, but I feel for me, it would have made the information in the Kishira mean anything because Avian Reserve could be a good thing. I just want the avians to have one good thing. No, the avian reserve is just the thing that they have so that they can't fuck the Serpiente the moment they see them. It doesn't mean <laughs> anything else. It's just prudes. Could you imagine it, though, if it's like avian reserve protected us? Wow, look at that. The avians had something nice. Nope, that's not what it's for. <laughs> Mad about it. You should be. The author will, someone will, someone will tell the author at some point. And they'll be like, mm, that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I'm just, I hate that they burned a house full of hundreds of people because they were so broken. But these mm-hmm. three fucking ladies, because the they're princesses named are okay. characters. Yeah, it's classist. It's classist bullshit. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's all the same fucking 
problem with Amy. We're having this conversation for the fifth time, and these books are like 10 years apart. So fucking <laughs> get a new fucking problem. It's, <laughs> it's like whenever they went back to the stories, they were all just right where they left them with no, like, no new thoughts. <laughs> It's like I've I've known about these stories since we met. Like they were 18. They had written them when they were like 17. The broad strokes and even some of the sharper strokes have been there since you were 18, 19. This book was published in 2016, which means there were 16 more years mm-hmm. or at least 14 more years for you to fucking grow and learn and change Something, anything, give empathy to these fucking characters. Like, you don't have to just be like, everybody's super broken. What if that was just a rumor? What if that was just uh, propaganda from midnight? You know, what if it was, oh my god, we've been wrong this whole time. They've been using magic. If we just use magic to unbreak them, then they'll just be traumatized and need therapy and meds and support. But then we would have to reckon with the fact that we brought down Midnight by killing hundreds of innocent people. And we can't do that. And we can't bring down Midnight any other way because these trainers have to exist in 200 years. Yeah. So mm, I guess we'll just have to not examine that whatsoever. The lack of examination. <laughs> that. That. And this is the last book that this author publishes. And... We do not get a resolution for anything because it's so we know, funny. right? We know where so much of this goes. We know Midnight is rebuilt by Jaguar in 200 years. It's all we voluntary. It's all voluntary slavery. Don't worry about it. It's like a spa. Yeah. That's cool. They've got a gym. <laughs> we don't know shit about the modern avians or serpents. This is the last information we have on them. We know what happens to the Chantel because of the crap that is given to us in PTK. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, we do know what happens to the Chantel, don't we? Oh, hey, yeah. it looks for look who's punished for having vengeful thoughts. Don't rock the boat, kids. So it makes and like you know we knew where this was uh, this trilogy when reading PTK, but it wasn't in our order, so it was just the memory of it. Mm-hmm. I was already pissed. You were already pissed about the stuff that happened to the Sakri, mm-hmm. the younger Sakri there, and like there's a a hint I think at some point. Daryl might buy the Sakri because Malachi does at any point chat with the Sakri and finds that no, she's not going to be any use to us. Why? Why Sakri? Right? Like, why Why can't you be anything? Now you're just a s- enslaved to Jaguar. And it means he's only had her for a couple months, too, when she inevitably gets sold off to... Because we know she doesn't burn in midnight, so she's clearly already been sold to Daryl and Brina. I have that. That's a genuine question, though. He meets the Sakri after she's in midnight, and when the ball is already rolling, too. Because her loss is what makes the Chantel decide to sort of cooperate and facilitate the whole bringing down midnight plan. So they finally live up to that thing that Katie's been like praising them for <laughs> after Katie's book. Don't worry about it. Yeah. But she's already there. She's already sort of served her purpose of like getting that ball rolling. Yeah, I think that is her purpose. But then why do you stay? Why do you stay a slave for 200 more years? Because she has nothing. She's no one. She's a hollow, empty husk. Don't you remember? But the the Chantel's still in there. I know, right? <laughs> it's like you could just come back out and like be a Sakri again. 
or or at least let go of the uh the elemental that supports the forest right like do you not see promises to keep coming right do you not know that that's your end if you fucking keep at this being her fucking lady's maid i i genuinely don't understand why she thinks she needs to be there i don't either there's no need for it she could have fucking had her vengeance immediately after like again it wouldn't fucking happen because it it wouldn't but imagine okay midnight's burning great and i've been sold off to brina and daryl cool let me just unleash the fucking beast inside yeah really and have what happened then in ptk happen now god imagine (laughs) where leona gets fucking torn apart and you know jessica's elemental gets torn apart and they're just yeah boom and there's nobody there to have fucking complicated feelings about it jay yeah Right? Just just let her fucking do it. Let her take down Midnight. It's all good. It's what she's here for. It's just, you know, it's that level of, like, um, plot armor that the trainers have. And it's like, they're bad guys. You can't, they can't have that much plot armor. They shouldn't right? be able to. It's unethical. <laughs> I need for in any of your 20 goddamn books, it to have ended poorly. <laughs> for any of them. Any right? of them. The only one who it ends poorly for is Daryl, and he is often, like, not sneered about by the trainers, but kind of laughed about by the trainers. Like, he, oh, he fancies himself a trainer. Oh, he's not good at it. Oh, of course he damaged the merchandise. Like, Daryl isn't a trainer, wishes he was, and he gets his bad ending. What about the ones who are really good at their job? It's because Daryl is the one who is allowed to be bad because he's the one that, you know, Amy doesn't like that much. So he's allowed to be bad. He's allowed to be (laughs) the- Amy shouldn't like that much. Jessica, Gabriel, Jaguar, Taro, Varric, who could have just died. We could have just killed Varric. I've never seen him. Who is he? Why didn't he die? I know that this takes place in the past, and so we see fucking Jessica's tits in Midnight Predator. We see Jaguar in Midnight Predator. We see Nathaniel. I know that. That's why these books shouldn't fucking exist. I'm sorry. <laughs> but they could have killed Taro, and they could have killed Varric, because they don't matter. They weren't in books that, that came up later. They don't matter. I think Taro's mentioned. Okay, at which point you go, whoops, I changed it later. Yeah, listen, how many times is fucking... Whatever her name is, Jaguar's or Jaeger's favorite bartender, burned down midnight. Burned down, man. You know? Oh, but it was actually Lila. Yes. So (laughs) you're allowed to do a whoopsie. It's an alternate universe. They're all dead. Yeah. I mean, I would like for all of them to be dead. But, you know, if you can't kill all of them because they're literally protagonists and love interests, just kill the ones who don't matter. Kill somebody. And here's the other thing. We don't really see any of them suffering after midnight is because we don't the only thing we get are those tiny little tv scenes Mm -hmm. nobody seems like it's just like oh here man i'll help you up you can crash on my couch for a few (laughs) weeks oh hey theron come with me you can cash in my coffin for a couple of weeks like (laughs) it's just that it's picking up the pieces but the characters are never allowed to sort of stew like gabriel's not allowed to be fucking bummed out that uh alistair's gone jessica gets like one second of being bummed that midnight's gone before we focus our attention somewhere else and thinking that like one of her people betrayed her 
Yeah. It's like, but they don't get to fucking sit in it. And like, we need that scene of them having any fucking consequences. And we learned about like Jessica, like in Katie's book, we we got like any time with her. So to really see her just be devastated that, oh my God, it happened again. You know, people have taken away, you know, my security. My Uh, horses. (laughs) Oh God, right? You know, like anything, anything. We saw her being uh, not an empty husk, but you know, like in, in Vance's book where she was like up all night and trying to do something for her trainers. She just lost everything. Why isn't she just catatonic at this point? Staring at the fire. Sure, she'll come back and she'll figure her life out, but let her be devastated. Let us see that she knows that people did this on purpose to take her out. It's the denouement and we don't get it. Yeah, we need like that scene of her alone at a table by herself, you know, knowing she's going to live the rest of her life in solitude or whatever. Like, we just (laughs) need that moment to sort of understand that this meant anything to her because she has been the bad guy of the series, or at least the figurehead for the villain of the series, which is supposed to be She was the bad guy we were supposed to have taken out in Midnight Predator. Right. Could you imagine? Jaguar gets dragged off by Alejandra, so we are going to just assume that, you know, Jaguar must have burned in here. Uh, She's catatonic. Gabriel's ranting and raving, and Katama's holding him back because he wants to go in there, and life doesn't matter, and where's my Ashley? So that we see that he loves her like let him have gone crazy with grief Mm -hmm. let jessica be catatonic with grief let them assume that people are dead yeah and that this is over and that they've lost and obviously like that's only working within these shitty confines that we exist in where they have to exist in 200 years in a better story, they all die. Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not even like... Oh, in a better story? All the trainers die and Katama comes up and finds Jessica and she's catatonic. And Jessica's like, my sister, at least you're still here. And she goes, yes, it's true. And then she stabs her. <laughs> yeah, she does. Uh, she does like a Wolverine. Like, I love you, but I am going to stab you now. Like, Yeah, she's like, this is the end, sister. No more. And she's like, yes, it's true. No more. And then... Uh-uh. Yeah, no. And that's not even like... I understand that sometimes we come off as like, I want, I want somebody to give me like a, the more you know moment. Like I want G.I. Joe to come out and like (laughs) tell me, hey kids, you shouldn't have slaves. Like I know we come (laughs) off like that sometimes, but that's only because there are books that are able to accurately communicate their theme, you know, by virtue of decent framing, which these books do not do. But no, my wanting Jessica and those fuckers in the ground isn't even because, like, I think slavery is evil and they should die for it, even though that should be a controversial opinion. It's because that's what a fucking satisfying ending looks like. Yeah. That's what these books are supposed to have been building up to. We almost got them all murdered at the end of the first one. We should absolutely have them all murdered at the end of the third one. Right. My favorite phrase, narrative expectation. The only way narrative expectation is upended is when you do something that's unique and interesting within the narrative expectation. And intentional. Yes. Because then you go, oh, I didn't see that coming. (gasps) 
Right. And it has to mean something and not just be like, well, because continuity. Which is why the reveal that Katama, the sister, the twin sister, had done all of this didn't matter. Yeah. We didn't know. She was never around. We didn't, you know, Malachi didn't see her hanging out at midnight. Vance didn't see her hanging out at midnight. She wasn't a character in these books who was in the background supporting her sister or even just sort of chatting and being like, you need a vacation. We should just like go visit Europe again. There's no more Inquisitors. Come on, we should just go. Like, she was never there. There was no reason for us to think that she was the ringleader or that she would turn on her sister. We didn't know shit about her. It wasn't a good narrative expectation subverted because there was no fucking expectation. Well, and what does it tell us about Katama's relationship with Jessica? We don't know why Katama wants this gone. Does sure. she disagree with what her sister is doing? Does she feel that it's putting her in danger? Like, what- or does she just not want slavery to exist? Like, we don't know why she did it. Yeah. So what does this reveal tell us about those characters or their relationships? It doesn't tell us anything because we know nothing about them. We just know that she didn't want her sister dead. Well, yeah. And the only reason that her sister would even be risk of being dead was because she hired somebody to bring Midnight down. So (laughs) it's just in this case, and it's not like, again, a similar situation couldn't work if the work was put into it. But in this case, it just feels like a reveal for the sake of a reveal because they explain to us who Katama is because otherwise we wouldn't fucking know. <laughs> right. She pulls back the hood. No, my goodness. I'm just looking at Jessica's mirror. Oh, it's her twin. Oh, it was her sister all along. Oh, okay. That's the first time I heard of her. It'd be great if it was like that flash moment where it's like he pulls down the mask. He's like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite <laughs> right because if it wasn't if it was a kisei the other sister who wasn't her twin malachi would just be like i have no idea who that is oh but let me get a tv moment on her one second bing oh oh i see the resemblance now ah it's her younger sister gotcha he puts his fingers to his forehead and just sort of like mm, <laughs> fucking professor is it? x is it what? Oh, okay the falcons are telling me <laughs> it's her <laughs> sister and that's why we should care oh <sighs> So if, I mean, there's a lot wrong with it, but, you know, for this one little thing, Mm -hmm. if they were editing all three books at once, being like, here's the story and we're splitting it into three, it would be like, well, you really can't reveal on like page 270 or something, a character we've never even seen before. (laughs) Like, let's seed her in a little bit. Just, just a scene in the first one, you know, mention something here in the second one. But Malachi's constantly at midnight. Let's let's have her be around. Let's have her be in the same fucking room as Jessica and Theron when that conversation happens. Like, let her exist. That's why, again, you just do a Game of Thrones. You give Jessica like a Cersei plotline where we see <laughs> this woman. We understand she's bad. Maybe we understand where she's coming from. And then we don't have to play this fucking weird game of like, feel bad for the slave lady who we know nothing about. <laughs> you put like narrative fucking nuance into this by putting it into the text and not just stepping back and saying, this is nuance, shades of gray. Isn't everybody a little bad? <laughs> and like, that's that should have been the plot. And it's not the plot. And we don't like what even happened here in the book. Did they succeed? Did the queens become queens again? Who knows? Doesn't matter. We're learning to be free. Right? It ends on like the biggest, you're never gonna believe this. And then we turn around looking for the next book and it doesn't fucking exist. And it's 
never right? was meant to and exist. in fact the author never went back <laughs> well and you know if you write this knowing that it's never going to exist who lets you end the book that way oh yeah right it's like what editor said sure good enough kid like you have to go um that didn't wrap up the plot like that that wrapped up the plot of the mavra with the midnight falling part yeah. but you do still need to finish malachi's plot and he just said he's gonna help these queens get up here now when i was describing the plot and i was like hey that's 50 pages hey that's 50 pages a lot of it was bullshit you could take those 50 pages and throw mm-hmm. them to the end where they get back on their thrones i guess even though i don't think he should be helping with that because he's fucking obsidian right because there's not really been an arc to that except for the fact that he's been observing alistair from afar and Without her consent. he figures out that she's a nice person therefore he's suddenly going to change his opinion on the fucking monarchy okay yeah way to have commitment to your fucking principles but oh wait <laughs> principles are for psychopaths my bad <laughs> which by the way we didn't explicitly reference it but like there is a part in the very beginning where malachi and vance have a conversation before they sell Hara, and they know that they have to sell Hara because that will facilitate Nathaniel's bringing down Midnight Plan. And Vance is like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the right thing to do is. And Malachi goes, oh, don't worry, buddy. Nobody knows what the right thing to do is. Nobody's confident except for (laughs) Misha. And you like see Misha in the background talking about how, oh, we're gonna fucking stand up to midnight because people shouldn't sell their people into slavery. And Malachi goes, you see that? That's a lady who's really confident in what she's talking about. And that's bad. <laughs> oh my god. You know why? Because she's a gourd inside. Because <laughs> she ain't got no seeds. <laughs> this is like the most bizarre meme. <laughs> so the whole thing is like Malachi insists that even though Misha is saying things that make sense and that you probably should agree with, but because he knows that her motivation is Mm. getting revenge on Midnight, that means that her actions are bad, even if her actions may, you know, bring about some sort of change. Like, they're bad because she's being driven by vengeance. Which is so funny because they did the whole the means justify the ends sort of thing in the past where it was like no that's that's okay it's like well but if she's motivated by revenge and the end result is midnight falls like like, who the fuck cares right like you people previously were okay with that kind of thing oh we're selling this hawk princess in but the ends are we get one of our people out so it's good you're selling a cobra princess who had previously sold your people in and in the end, midnight will fall. And uh, this seems better. I'm sorry. Do you not ten chapters later agree to burn a building full of innocent people? Full of people, right? And it's not like any of this feels good. I think it's really that. It's like it's okay, Vance. Nobody can feel good about the decisions we're making, but hopefully, no one will have to make these decisions again. Right, which is fine. But it's just the way that he frames it in like a terms of like confidence and it just feels like we're kind of hearkening back to that the idea that if you have like convictions and if your convictions are like disruptive in any way you know the way that the Chantel was disruptive 
Yeah. And was going to hurt people who were not directly responsible for their situation, but were definitely complicit in it. Like, it's that thing. It's, that, it's centrist bullshit. Again, we've talked about centrist bullshit before, and here we are again. Since the fucking Kiyoshara. It just gets grosser every time. Because it's almost like it's circling the drain, and you're just like, this was already bad far away from the drain. Yeah, right, but now it's getting closer, and there's, like, some kind of soaps come in there, and I think that might be mold. And you're still centrist. Is that a pumpkin seed? What is that doing yeah. in there? It's from a gourd. <laughs> this is this is the, the drain where we hollow the people out. <laughs> okay. The pumpkin That's people. what it was for. Nobody's cleaned it out. It's fucking yeah. slaves. <laughs> Unless we tell them. They won't do anything. I mean, if the building's on fire, well, I guess we did see the building was on fire and, well, nobody told me to go do anything about it, so it must be okay. Yep. Fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did want to mention that, uh, oh, first of all, I don't know if you caught it, but Vance's greenhouse is a fucking acre big. I did. And I thought about it because where I grew up lived on an acre. The The property was one acre. Fucking how? Fucking show me the schematics that make a fucking acre large greenhouse in 1804, whatever the fuck. Where did you get the fucking materials? He doesn't even say like that there were like parts of it that were like wood or there were some like, you know, No, it's all just glass. It's all glass. It's all just glass. But like, how? How? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I love that they, like, destroy it. <laughs> Good. I'm so glad. I'm sad that we couldn't see it. That is something I would have loved to see, but... Yeah, you know, I think Vance would have liked to have watched that, too. What if fucking Vance could have been there? Imagine I that. know! If Vance was like, I want to go and help take down the cage that I was kept in, I don't want that cage to still be there. It yep. needs to go. Imagine what kind of emotional... Catharsis? Catharsis that could have been. Nope. Yeah. Can't do it. Nope. Katie and Vance are kept out of the fight because why would they possibly have anything in this book to wrap up their plots that never got wrapped up in the previous ones? I know. They just get put into daycare. (laughs) Yes, they sure do. The Chantel just, like, watch their children. (laughs) Oh! Mm -hmm. Katie being like, you have to get Hara out. And Malachi being like, uh, I was just going to get Alistair. And she's like, well, but she'll burn too. She can't fly. And he's like, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think I can. And I'm, I was thinking about how if in book two, we had had the short story mm-hmm. at the beginning and Hara had been like a sister to her and all of Katie's book had been in just a little bit here and there, this mm-hmm. sense of like, she is like a sister to me. Mm-hmm. I hate it that she's like a sister to me, blah, blah, blah. For this to be a moment for Katie to be like, no, she she is my sister, and we sold her in, and we have to get her out because she's my family too, and blah, 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 blah. For that to have been for Katie's plot, for her to finally admit that, like, no, I do care about these people. I do care about Aaron. Right? I do care about Hara. I hate that I was taken, but, you know, you guys are my family, and I've known you for significantly less time than I ever knew Hara and Aaron, who I lived with for seven fucking years. Right? But this is my home, too? Like, yes! Yes! For Katie to be like, I need to make sure my sister makes it out alive. That would have been her catharsis. Her character plot. 
And it's like, and then you can't just have her come into this one and be like, you have to save Hara because according to my background, which I took at character creation, she is supposed to be important to me. (laughs) It's literally what it feels like. It's like, but you didn't. Your previous one, you never treated her like a sister at all. You never treated Aaron like a brother. You treated everyone like, as you had said in the previous one, you know, it's like, she's just angry about everything and everyone just pissy everybody's just annoying to her yeah yeah we like we were it's like the vance thing again it's like bitch we were in your head we know you don't give a shit about hara (laughs) right and the second one where it's like you're telling me shit about vance that is not true (laughs) and this one you're showing me shit that is not true it's extremely out of character for her (laughs) on a tangent to that when yes the fuck did Vance and Katie become Malachi's siblings? Citation needed. <laughs> Scenes deleted. Right? At the beginning of Katie's story in book two, Malachi's still kind of a fucking weirdo to her. Yeah, they all treat him like he's a weirdo and they don't act with any particular affection for him. It just seems like every time he comes along, the two of them just sort of lean down to each other and they're like, this fucking guy again. And again, they're 14 and 15 maybe 15 and 16 by this point who knows and he's 29 (laughs) right and he treats them like peers except when it's time to go fight yeah at which point you're too young and i can't lose you and i was like dude no not at all again if the narrative had just allowed vance to be like 21 (laughs) he could have been your love interest right or malachi to be like younger i don't know sure why did malachi need to be so much older why couldn't shke be misha's twin because you make everyone a twin like just Make him younger, make them older, make everyone an appropriate for the narrative age, and it would be fine. And then you've got, you know, this is my boyfriend Vance and his, you know, queer platonic partner, uh, Katie. Yeah, right? Sort of. Yeah, it's like we don't get the the release of tension, the breath you're holding for these other two characters, thinking, my God, of course something will happen for them. We'll see something. No. Vance's final moments of any note Or him, you know, waiting like a widow at the sea for her husband to come back. And uh, Malachi wanders in after the fall of midnight and he like, they hug and oh, you're bloody. And he takes off his clothes and he feeds him stew. And it's the same meal they first ate together. Teehee. Like, it's so fucking romance coded. And like, I'm fine with them having a friendship because obviously the age difference and all that. Mm -hmm. But if the tropes weren't there... (laughs) I would never go looking for it. It's also fucking callback to, again, a relationship that doesn't exist. Yes. It's like Vance hates your ass or tolerates it now. Right. But like he hated your ass and then he tolerates you. Tolerates you is about as far as we go. Right. Previous to this book, what we're reading. I wonder if there's the trauma bonding of when the attack happens and then they're all that they have, the four of them. But then, of course, Aika, we got to get rid of her. Right, Aika didn't narrate a book, so... Uh... Yeah, so she, she, she can go hang out. Um, if it's just that, if it's like, well, we're all each other has now. Well, if that's it, then fucking show it to me. They didn't show that either. They just said it, and if they say it, it's true. <laughs> there is a point at which Malachi was... I think it was when he was talking to Theron. He was talking to mm-hmm. some vampire... And he did like a little sass, you know, and like Malachi previously, not really been a sassy guy. No sass. No sass. Like he's just kind of a dick to Vance. He's a real Drusilla type in book two. So like. (laughs) Thank you. That's the word I've been looking for. 
But as soon as he starts flirting, it becomes that same, like, Raven flirting, like, you know, Jessica and Aubrey flirting. And it struck me then that, like, Malachi is, like, the apex Amy character that, like, they took, like, all of the different parts. They gave him fucking Kai. What's her name? Hi. They gave him Hi's prophecy. Falcon shit. They gave him Jessica Snark. All of Amy's, like, character tropes. He's super OP. Yeah, well, is he? He doesn't fucking do anything. Well, he is OP when you want him to be. Well, he's, you know, he took White Viper and Falcon heritages. He he can just randomly know Falcon language, and so that to me is pretty fucking OP. I, I would agree if he weren't so fucking useless throughout this whole book. Being useless, that's another Amy trait. (laughs) For this series, anyway. But, like, yeah, it just feels like he's such a fucking Lego combination of all those things (laughs) that don't fit together, but they do feel like the ooze that congeals at the bottom of the Amy, like, pulp file. Yeah, for sure. So, the random thing about, like, they should have just gone off and told Hara about Misha's plan. Mm-hmm. Because why not at that point rile up other shapeshifter nations that even a lowly obsidian member could sell a princess for no reason? Mm-hmm. So maybe these midnight laws are arbitrary and bullshit and protecting no one? Like, it didn't take me long to jump to that. Where it's like, what is she selling you for? Nothing. You didn't do anything. That that could have helped, you know, rally the nations together. You're saying who should have told what this? Oh, um, the you know, Malachi and Vance and Katie and Aika. Oh. Yeah, I mean, sure, but they were kneecapped almost immediately by Nathaniel telling them that they couldn't because prophecy. And impeding trade. But at which point it would just be like, well, fuck you. Doing it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that would require them to be, like, altruistic at all. Yes. But this is what I would have done. (laughs) I'd be like, sure, Nathaniel, absolutely. We will definitely just help Misha. All right, guys, let's go find Hara. (laughs) And be like... This is what's happening. There's no reason. And if we can sell you just because we happen to be shapeshifters, maybe this is all fucking bullshit. Right. I can't I can't imagine anybody fucking agrees that Midnight's rules are anything but bullshit. It's just right? fear. Yep. Uh, another thought I had had, I'm pretty sure it's not said. Like, we never fucking find out. But Shke must have been Feral's other son. Mm-hmm. At which point, how do you get consent from a quote, hollow-hearted woman. Why not care more about Shke than, like, treating him like this frigid woman-style plot device? Like, you would think that Feral would be like, yeah, he's my son, and I love him and miss him. Anything he's it's treated like Aaron is his only one. And again, I know it's not mentioned, but otherwise, who the fuck else? You never mention, oh, Shke's father was... I mean, <laughs> he was a member of Obsidian who was previously killed, you know, in the past 10 years. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, you could just say that. You never mention it, so it's this gaping plot hole. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't matter, because Gay's gone when the series starts, so who cares? Except that we see him now. I feel like we missed a scene where it's like, sh- sh- Feral should have, because, oh, it's also revealed that Feral did kill Lady Elise because the queen the of the snakes that they all had been denying up and down. Because Jessica made that the price to get Malachi, his mom, and his unborn sister out of Midnight. My thought is that I think that, because he gets this information from fucking Theron. I think Theron was lying about the order of it. That 
Farrell probably heard there were white vipers in Midnight and wanted them. <laughs> or, or rather didn't hear about it, but they probably approached him and were like, we need you to do this and we have something that we know you want. That I think that Malachi's prophecy had nothing to do with anything. <laughs> that he already wanted them to get out because he'd already named himself fucking Obsidian and that's what the white vipers are. Mm. I mean, that would make it make more sense but the way, right? the way that we're told and the way that like it's we're intended to take his canon it's just like feral makes the fucking wildest decision he goes to midnight he finds this kid who let him into midnight i don't know was he another one of jessica's fucking stray cats that's what i want to know continue he goes to midnight finds this fucking kid this kid is like um hey mister when my sister's born, she's going to be queen someday. And when she's queen, midnight will burn. And Jessica's like, oh, you, you want this kid? Well, um, there have been these queens that are... <laughs> these three queens have really been a problem for me. They're like a real threat to me. And like if they band together, they could... Because it was the Chantel, the Avian, and the Serpiente queens. Yes. And if they band together, they could probably bring me down. So listen, if you go take care of that, you can have this kid who says his sister will probably do the same thing that you're going to kill a woman to prevent. Which is so funny. Why would Jessica let them go? Why wouldn't she just be like, you can take the little kid, but I'm stabbing this lady in the fucking stomach. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe Jessica doesn't believe it. But like... The fact that Farrell decides that a child's prophecy is of surer bet than the things that some adult women are actively doing is Farrell, you fucking stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> like, why would you do why would you do that? Yes, which is where, I think, if they said, We want you to do this thing and here's what we'll offer you as payment. <laughs> sure. And then he hears the prophecy and is like Sounds good. <laughs> but that is not what we're told. Nope, it's not. Well, because every time we hear anything, it has to be, it's canon because it was said. Mm-hmm. Why would Theron tell you, why would Theron even know the order it came in? You know, like, there's no need. This is you attributing fucking actual character existence outside of what the author needs for the plot. I hate that with this author, everything that a character says is true because the author says it's true. Like, it's so it's so hard to be... To watch some characters know stuff, and so therefore that's plot because they know it. But then other characters say other stuff, and oh, they're saying it and it's a lie. Maybe people just fucking get shit wrong. Could you put that into your characters? Well, no. Because I need the character to know this thing. So when I have the character tell them that, it's going to be true. So Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I hate that Aaron doesn't mention having, like, advisors and whatnot he can trust and turn to. It just doesn't make any sense that he would only be talking to Misha, except for magic, of course. But, like, there's not even a mention of it, and then we see them later, you know, in the the cells. It's all very flimsy. And when they talk about, like, the entire Serpienti Nation, it's like, what, all 300 of them? (laughs) Real vague. Considering how much Amy went out of their way to figure out where Midnight is in, like, what fucking Idaho, I'm surprised we don't know where the Serpienti lands are in relation on a map of the states and the avians like where were they what the fuck are they now yeah i mean we never even see the avians so again we're we only get information that is important to make this plot go along and no more well and like alistair flies off to some town called dockside and it's like if we're in the states which you told us repeatedly in katie's story what fucking state 
This is a town, a dockside town. Are we, did she fly to the Great Lakes? Is this a river? Are we on the Mississippi? Where is the sense of time and place that you had in the previous book? Uh, Did we have it in the previous book? Yes, because it's after the American Revolution, remember? Sure, but that's, again, just something people say. There's nothing... (laughs) But, like, Alistair goes to a human town. Sure, but there's never been anything in the way that people talk, or in slang, or in their cadence, or in their... It's Agreed, agreed. Hawk Song takes place thousands of years before this. People talk exactly the same. The voice never changes. Yeah. No, it's absolutely, absolutely true. (laughs) I just would have liked if it was, and I was on a gigantic river, and they told me it was the Mississippi, and I'd never been here before. Just just something. You would have liked if Amy was a better writer. (laughs) (laughs) I would have liked to not read this book. I mean, like, that's just every note. It's just like, I would have liked if Amy was a better writer. I would have liked if Amy was better. This whole podcast would have liked that. Would have liked that. Would have solved a lot of problems. (laughs) <laughs> sure would have. Their comments about needing to feed their people, why not just reach out to the nations who are not fully beholden to midnight, who clearly must grow their own goddamn food. Like, reach out to the Azteca and say, hey, we have Vance, he's a blood witch, and he's here with us, and we'd like to open trade negotiations with you while we stand against midnight. What can we trade with you for food and tools to grow our own? Like, use the resources that these books have set up! <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm i perpetually confused by the dependence of these nations on Midnight. Right. And like, you know, you mentioned last time too, it's like, there are human cities, there are native tribes, they're doing shit. Go talk to them. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's like, and, and they, they do touch on it a little bit in the beginning of this one, where it's like, what are you saying? What is the point of this? Is the, is the mm-hmm. only narrative utility of this fact that they are beholden to midnight or are you trying to say something about how it's easier to you know be complicit in slavery than it is to like teach yourself to grow a fucking corn like <laughs> what is that the point i think so it's you know if you are complicit in slavery you'll never have to learn to fish right <laughs> teach a man to sell somebody into slavery and he'll <laughs> eat for a day we'll eat for a lifetime <laughs> Until you ask for taxes. Oh, man. Okay. To wrap up about the stuff with Malachi's mom and Farrell and all that. There was a perfectly good time to mention his mother's name since Theron knew so much about her fucking backstory. To say like, oh, she was a strong worker. So why else? You know, why would Jessica get rid of that? And we don't get it. I just want to say I hate that. Like, she could have just been given a name. Hashtag moms don't matter. (laughs) They never fucking matter. Um... And when he reveals that, you know, Farrell had murdered Queen Elise, he, Amalekai thinks about how, you know, oh, Melissa had left and accused Farrell of rape, you know, probably because she needed a severe enough excuse to abandon him. Or, since he actually did murder the former queen, maybe he raped his mate. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe the people around you were not as good as you thought they were. And it ex- extends beyond this one thing that he said he didn't do that he actually did do. Mm-hmm. There was also a comment on, like, the villages of the the blood traders at midnight about, oh, they did worse stuff than the obsidian was even, you know, guilty of. Are you or are you not the guild that takes in criminals? (laughs) Why is everyone in obsidian totally okay and normal and fine? Like, I thought they took in criminals. (laughs) Do they or was that the old obsidian? Maybe. Maybe I'm mixing it. But we know that Torquil 
Ike's mate was a dancer who did something nebulous that we never learned about. I so know. it's like I love that they never told us. Never told us. Sure would have been nice. So yeah, I feel like they do take in criminals. <laughs> That's how they get their group to even fucking exist. All right, let's see. Um, so you know how I hate prophecy. Mm-hmm. And I hate how Malachi is using his vision and all that. It would be really fucking nice if in the moment at the, when they were like getting ready to go take down Midnight, if we did actually see the possible futures for once when they counted. Like, what is the possible futures if they don't take it down? How can it go wrong? Because there's a moment where he says went through the quote echoes and competing voices of all possible futures. But like, Jesus fucking Christ, if you have this TV and you won't even think of anything interesting to change the channel to? Mm-hmm. Why? Just, just fucking think about it. But they did not, and they would not. Mm-mm. Yeah. Just, the other one was that, so there's one moment after everything is done, and Malachi is comparing himself to the Sakri, and he says that, has she really sacrificed everything, not just herself, but her land and her people in order to fight midnight? I had given everything I had as well, but an outlaw who refuses responsibility for anyone or anything beyond himself could never have as much to lose. He said in prior chapters that Vance and Katie were his family now, and he survived. So he, in fact, didn't give everything he had, and he barely gave anything compared to her. He's like, wow, she gave everything. I gave everything, too. You fucking did not. You were passed out. (laughs) The whole fucking thing. (laughs) Right. I do wonder where the royal vampire taste testers were that Jessica got last episode. Mm -hmm. Did they die? Did she kill them? Were they still slaves? Did they burn in midnight? Presumably they burned. Uh, Presumably, but I think it'd be very funny if they had existed into the future. (laughs) Just these vampires. It's like, who are you? Well, I used to be enslaved in midnight. Um, here's the fucked up backstory on how I got changed, but it's been 200 years, so. Well, no, they're hollow and they're not princesses, so <laughs> they don't get agency. It would have been so fun to see them, though, just years and years later and be like, Isaac? Yeah, right. Are we at Just sipping a, sipping a fucking coffee in the coffee bar lit by a single candle, just being like, yeah, I used to work at midnight. Silver, Silver's people found me and helped me and unlocked all the magic shit that, that they'd thrown on me. Turns out all I really needed was therapy. <laughs> it's fucking wild. They talk a big game about like hollowing you out and like mm-hmm. making you their slave. But really, you know, if I just, it was, I'm not going to lie. Like it was traumatic, but. It was awful. It was, it was awful and it was a terrible place. And oh my God, have you heard the Jaguar's back and he's making another one? Like, oh, somebody mm-hmm. ought to take care of that. But, you know. I would hire someone to get rid of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, if you have a number that you can give me, I would appreciate it. But, you know, yeah, I just went to some therapy and, you know, it took a few hundred years. (laughs) It was 200 years ago. It was a long time. Yeah. But I I was able to come back and really rebuild myself and understand that it wasn't my fault and I could make my own choices. (laughs) Yeah. It turns out, um, like, just trauma, man. You You can heal from that. Did you know? It's wild. (laughs) All right. And then my last uh, my last thing, and I've done a lot of weird random nitpicks, but there was a mention of when Malachi was like, oh no, if he found blood relatives among the Azteca, you know, maybe he won't want to stay here anymore. It's fucking bizarre that he didn't, in fact, because how many Quetzals, pregnant Quetzals, disappear? Mm-hmm. Someone should be like, oh yeah, I knew your parents. These were their names. 
I presume they were them because they're the only Quetzals who've gone missing in the past 15 years. Or, oh, I'm your your uncle. These are your cousins. This is your grandmother. Mm-hmm. He's just this fully formed Quetzal that came out of nowhere. And his history doesn't matter and the, the, the people abandoned him. Like, it makes zero sense that this this one nation and he's got no relatives. We don't see anything from Vance. Like, the entire time he's gone, he just comes back because he cares about Katie and uh, Malachi. So, fuck, maybe he did. I mean, he told maybe. them to fuck off when they offered to make him a prince. Maybe, but it would have been nice to hear it. Be like, yeah, I found my family. I found out who my parents were. <laughs> and you came back? You're my real family. Okay, cool. Yeah, you know, if plot, if Amy were a better writer... <laughs> <laughs> in the end would have been great my father was right Amy was not a good writer <laughs> yep I like okay so my favorite thing I think it's when Malachi goes back to see Misha for like the last time he finds out that they killed uh, Julian the old king oh yeah yeah and blamed it on the Obsidian tribe Yes. And then Malachi is like, oh, who in the Ossian tribe? And somebody tells him it's some guy named Philip. Yes. And Malachi's like, there wasn't a Philip in the Obsidian tribe. So in this kingdom of 300 people, they just grabbed a guy off the street, put a fucking mustache on him, and we're like, <laughs> Obsidian mustache. He's Obsidian. He killed your king. And nobody was like, wait, is that Philip? That's my friend Philip. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, doesn't that guy buy, like, stuff from your shop? Philip, were you secretly obsidian this whole time? How could you? It's so ridiculous. I, I enjoyed that. Poor Philip. Poor Philip. Should have had more distinctive features, I guess. <laughs> right? So this is it. This is, this is where we go out. Yep. I don't recommend it. And I know you don't. I, t- I said at the beginning. That's it. That's Amelia Atwater Rose and all of the young adult novels that they have published. Thank fucking God. Anything. I'll read anything else. Just no more fucking Amy. I can't do it. I don't even remember at this point what our next season is, but I know that it doesn't matter because it will be better. Yep. Can You know what? We hit rock bottom. We can only go up. Only up from can here. Up. We've got so many authors we can return to. So many authors that we have on our list that we haven't even touched mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fine. I hope that anyone who read these books so has enjoyed listening. Sorry. Yeah, I'm very sorry. But I hope you've enjoyed listening. I mean, also, that is on you guys. You made those choices. You're adults. <laughs> Freedom. You chose to read yeah. them. No, that sucks. I hate that they read them. But I do hope that they're having at least fun listening and come talking to us. Yeah, tell us if uh, if you hadn't read any of uh, Amy's other stuff, how these uh, how these sat for you. I'm curious. Yeah, I would like to know. All right. We will see you all next time for season 14. There will be an announcement for top tier patrons over on the Patreon. And you can find this on Twitter at Backlist Podcast. I'm there at Olivia Hennis. How about you? I am there sometimes as Endless underscore Run. You can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash backlist and chill. Very good. And you'll be able to find our Redbubble as well, which I think is Backlist Podcast. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much. We love you. It's over. It's over. We're all, hey, guess what, guys? We're all free. 
All right. Bye. Bye.